Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. 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 Hello, this is Zach Saber Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here Alongside the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing nights 16 through 19 of the G1 Climax 28, as well as covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe to sign up to get the podcast and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. Also, make sure to check out our friends at purezuroad.com on the front page right now. Friend of the show, Mike Grindle. He has a great G1 Climax 28 recap written. Check that stuff out, guys. Check out all the content on purezuroad.com. All right, young boy. We did it. We have finished the G1 Climax 28. One of the greatest accomplishments of my entire living existence. That should go on a resume. Absolutely. Bro, I've got a, a job interview in two days. And I'm definitely going to mention that. They're going to be like, what kind of skill set do you have? I'm like, uh, great customer service, sales experience, administrative work. I watched the entire G1. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got one of the largest New Japan pro wrestling podcasts on the entire internet. We're the ace of podcasts. You probably heard about us. And they're going to be like, yes, we, we're very pleased to offer you this position based <laughs> off of that alone. And I'm going to be like, I should have led with that. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I was mentioning all these. Dude, what if the, one of the interviews was like a New Japan fan and you didn't even know it? <laughs> uh, 
well, I think my interviewer, it's an internal job interview. So my interviewer is like a 45 year old woman. I'm going to say no. You're going to say no on that yeah. one. That's a hard no. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure she'll be impressed either way. Yeah. Yeah. So. A, lot, a lot of people are impressed uh, by the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I am. Um, I don't know, man. In one way, I'm sort of exhausted, but then it's like the relief that it's over. And it's kind of one of those things like, you know, when you're living through the good times of life and you look back and you and then you, you didn't realize that those were the good times when you were living in them. The G one's over and I, the whole time I was stressing about it. Now that it's over, I miss it. Yeah, dude. I and, miss it. And the thing like there's not going to be another show until September 7th. In a way, I'm very happy. <laughs> Usually, I need, like, you know, like, if we do a tour, I need the tour, and then I need maybe one week break. Yeah. And then you can come back. Like, come back. Give me a Lionsgate show. You know what I'm saying? Give, mm-hmm. give me a little taste. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> give me a U.S. show. Drop drop something for me. Um, so, a month? Yeah, pretty much. A month? About, I don't think yeah. we've had a break like that all year. Yeah. We're, we're actually going to do some a couple of fun shows in between here. Every show that we do is a fun show. I know, but I mean, we, we normally have like stuff we have to review, preview. We're going to have to go outside the box a little bit. Oh, man. Are we going to review like 1970s New Japan? We could. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to have you in here watching like Inoki versus freaking like, I don't know, Chuck Wepner. It's going to be awful. <laughs> but this is, uh, yeah, I'm very, very, very excited. Um, I'm excited for this show. Like, I've been looking forward to it all all day. Like, I think we've had a lot to say about this G1 final and yeah. these final block yeah. scenarios. And uh, we're going to get to it, but I'm just going to say, I'm going to start off with this. The ace. The ace that runs the place. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, let's, uh, let's not spoil it, even though we already did. So wh- where are we going? We're starting with the A block? Yeah, A block, uh, final night, or well, yeah, final night. Yeah. Um, How about like the attendance? Um, yeah, the attendance was like six thousand one hundred some odd people. Yeah, it's about it's about half of what they drew the the last two nights. But if you look back, I heard um, shout out to Joe Lanza. He was talking about this. Um, the average on the first night is about sixty five hundred. The last few um, A block final nights, so it's not completely off pace uh, it's it's still about like 400 or so lower than like the average do you think that it's because they run like usually for the last three nights they run a bigger venue and it because it's like like for instance if i was a fan and i'm having to make the financial decision to attend these nights i'm probably going to pick one of the last two nights right and do you I think, think that's the that's I what think it is so. I mean they're running Okada Tanahashi I mean obviously that's an amazing match but that's a match that you we've seen um, you know quite a few times now uh, your B block finally you had Omega Ibushi we hadn't seen that in what six years yeah um, and then just the excitement of the finals yeah so. and you know what they probably know that they probably know, like, even, like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, in the A block, they run Ibushi and Omega for the A block finals. I think they probably do know to some degree that they're going to draw less on that night, just historically. Right. And so maybe it's not the wisest decision to put your biggest money match on a night that will inevitably, even if it drew better than, say, Okada Tanahashi, it might not be the the, the prudent financial decision. You probably do that on the B block finals. The bigger, yeah. It's the bigger match. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. That's a, a stupid point. A stupid point, Jeremy. 
so yeah, so the situation, the scenario going into the final A Block night was you had Jay White versus Evil, mm-hmm. and then Okada versus Tanahashi. Right. And uh, Jay White had to beat Evil to have any chances of winning the A Block. Yeah. So we go to that match, Jay White versus Evil. What do you think about that? Well, um, you know, uh, I don't think that. I mean, Evil has been very solid throughout the tournament, but nothing beyond that. And I think that this was a very consistent performance on his part. Um, it's exactly what I kind of expected from him all throughout. Um, I think that the added tension uh, was there, just the fact that, you know, if Jay White wins this match, then it's definitely going to create a scenario where Okada cannot win, most likely. You know? Right. So... I think that that was where most of the intrigue and some of it was. And these guys wrestled a very, I don't know, I would have called it like almost a measured pace. There was more like gravity to what they were doing. Right. I think both of those guys, at definitely Jay White's a very methodical wrestler. At times, evil can be that way too. Um, and then you had uh, obviously throwing in the factor of Jay White uh, achieving his, uh, his heel tactics. And even though Evil, L.I.J. and Evil are kind of like baby faces, Evil still does do like the, the chair baseball spot and will do a few kind of underhanded tactics. I mean, they did some more creative stuff with, with Jay White and some of his cheating tactics. I think he was trying to pull a couple new tricks out of his bag to, to snatch the victory, you know? But, um, you know, Evil's shown himself to be pretty adept during this tournament to thwarting different game plans. You know, from a kayfabe sense, he's been very good at that. I mean, you look at his match with Fale, for example, and he was able to kind of use the Ching against them. Yeah. And I think that that continued in this match, obviously, because he was able to kind of, to a certain degree, stay a step ahead of Jay White and sort of sort of scout him, sort of anticipate what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean, we saw ultimately came down to the end where Jay White's cheating backfired. Uh, ref went down. Uh, Jay White went to hit Evil with a chair, but then Evil blocked it, hit the everything is evil STO. Yeah. One, two, three. Evil gets the win, and Jay White uh, officially uneligible to win the A block. Yeah, I mean, this match went about 11 minutes and some change, so it wasn't a prolonged affair. I thought the beginning of it, it was what you would expect out of Evil and Jay White, given the circumstances with the tournament. I did think that the closing stretch was very interesting, you know, with the different ref bumps and the the shenanigans with the chair. Um, I know we've criticized it throughout the tournament, and I'm not sitting here saying I'm a big fan of it, but at this point, because... This is these are the tactics Jay White's used the entire tournament. Yeah, you almost we've gotten into a mode to think like, hey, this guy's gonna use whatever he has to 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 get by, um, and they did a good job building that anticipation at the very end. But like you said, e- um, Evil was able to just stay a step ahead of, step ahead of him, and um, people are gonna think that that you know that our podcast just skipped because I just repeated that. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was able to stay a step ahead of him and. Um, you know, get the everything is evil, and it kind of caught uh, Jay like unexpected. It was almost yeah. like a flash victory to a certain degree. That's the the one thing I kind of like about the everything is evil is that he can kind of hit it out of nowhere. Yeah, and evil showed a lot of toughness here. He he kicked out of the Kiwi Crusher. He got hit with several sleeper 
suplexes, which yes. were pretty nasty looking. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, you know, hats off to, to Evil. And, you know, that was it was kind of cool because it, it Jay White got knocked out. And I know a lot of fan, people are not fans of the Jay White character. Um, he did well in this tournament. But, you know, it, it kind of created a scenario where we get a clean situation between Tanahashi and Okada going to the finals. I was sort of personally... I was sort of envisioning a scenario where Jay White would be at ringside or maybe even in the crowd or maybe the camera. I don't know why, but I just saw this thing where like he would really be intensely watching, watching involved in the main involved event. in the main event. And when this happened, it just totally cut that out of the picture. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing whatsoever, but it, it, it did kind of change suddenly like you had to adjust your your expectations for the main event on the fly because this happened this was the semi-main event of the night and Jay White got knocked out and then it just the the whole aura behind Okada Tanahashi just changed and you're like oh oh it, it, it's a clean fight now like yeah like Rainmaker can do this thing like if Rainmaker wins he's in and that's it so like uh, really great booking really really yes. really great booking yeah awesome booking as usual um, so then we go to the main event of that night Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi like you mentioned, if Okada wins, he uh, takes the A block for Tanahashi. He could win or draw, get a draw, and he would win the A block. I mean, some interesting things here. So, Tanahashi, going into this match, has not beaten Okada clean since 2015. Yeah, 2015, yeah. Um, and historically, these guys have never had a match that was less than 30 minutes. And as you know, all block matches have a 30-minute time limit right. draw. Um, the last two guys, the last two times that these two faced off in the G1, draws. They both had draws. So, with that being the case, the situation here is that Tanahashi can win with either uh, a victory, or if it goes to a draw because he has the points lead, he wins the block. Right. Whereas Okada at this point had like he has no choice but to win the match. So yeah, he, bas- he if he won, he would tie with fourteen. He would the tiebreaker over Tanahashi, and that's what would send him. What was the tiebreaker? Um, so they would have both had fourteen points. Right, but why would Okada get the tiebreaker over him? What was the... Uh, Just because he beat him. They have the same amount of points. Oh, you're right. I don't know what I'm thinking. The, yeah, the, the, obviously. <laughs> um, so they would have been the only two that had 14, so... No, yeah, that was a dumb question. I don't even know why I said that. I was thinking, I was like, who? who's the common opponent? It's like, <laughs> he beat Tanahashi, you idiot. Like, But, um, yeah, so, I mean... Um, and then, plus, obviously, we have to take into account the fact that these guys just wrestled earlier this year. Um, um, Sakura Genesis? Was it Sakura Genesis? Yeah, yeah, in April. Or, or was it Dantaku? I think, wasn't it Sakura Genesis? No, Sakura Genesis was the big match in April. So, no, 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 that was Okada and uh, Zack Sabre. So, I think it was Dantaku. Also, oh, it must have been wrestling Dantaku then. Yeah, it was Dantaku. If I'm, I could be messing that up. So, I mean, if you're listening, we don't have all the notes in front of us. I apologize, but yes. Um, and that was a that was a big deal at the time because... You know, people were talking about it being the final match between, you know, the former fading ace and the rising juggernaut champion who, you know, is about to break, you know, Tanahashi's title defense record, which he did during that match. Right. And, you know, that story was so beautifully told and people were just like, that's Tanahashi riding off in the sunset. But, you know, at the same time. G1's right around the corner, and we've seen the G1 ace, and he was here on this night as well. Yes, he came to play tonight. I mean, this was an awesome match, both guys. Um, you know, a lot of callbacks from previous matches. A lot. If you've watched all the matches that they've had in the past, 
tons of callbacks, tons of counters, two callbacks, um, just a lot of great action. I mean, Tanahashi was like in peak shape here. Yeah. Just moving so quick, so nimble, like he, he like he had to miss a step. Right. And the other thing to take into consideration, too, is, you know, we've mentioned this previously. The Okada that wrestled him just earlier this year was Golden God Okada. You know, in the in the midst of the greatest title reign in IWGP history, whereas now he comes into this tournament and yeah, he's done well, but he's broken Okada. He's got different gear, different music, different hair, a different attitude. No ghetto. No ghetto. Just and he's struggled. Even though he's won most of his matches, he's really struggled in his psyche and in his heart and in his soul. And you've seen that displayed. And so the intrigue of this match was just like Okada. You know. Tanahashi looks like he's in prime position, all the confidence in the world, all the belief in the world that he's going to basically conquer this dude who he hasn't been able to beat in three years. And then you've got Okada who, sh- who should be streaking and who should be... Right. Like, I've, I just beat Tanahashi a few months ago. He's, like, beat him, he's, he's been beating him right. for a long time. Yeah. And But he comes in with doubt in his heart and in his mind and, in, and you can see it in his eyes and you're like, what is this guy going to have to do put away the ace tonight and it, it ace he, is broken down he's got bad biceps bad, bad knees, knees bad back his neck's messed up but like you said he came to play and that was the story here and that was the intrigue of this match one thing i do want to say where we've been seeing guys get dropped on their head and b block and jump off of things and do the craziest crap that you can imagine and hey i'm all for that i'm not even criticizing it right we love that stuff <laughs> But you see Okada Tanahashi, and every time they come together, it's a masterpiece in storytelling. It's a masterpiece in wrestling. And it's, it is the modern-day Steamboat Flair. It just is. Yeah. At a, at, it's the new version of it. And it's this match did not fail to disappoint, and it did not fail to deliver. It was amazing. Yeah, amazing matchup. Um, came, in da- came down to the last few seconds there. Uh, Tanahashi hit the high fly flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit it again. Was going for got, got a cover. Um, Okada kicks out. He's about to go up top again, right, for another high fly flow, and then time expires. A couple of things with that that were just so incredible to me. The, the the closing stretch we've been talking about getting one of these Okada closing stretches all you know all tournament long. We haven't seen it, but we finally got one. We finally got like something that drew emotion and that drew you know nostalgia. You talked about like the callbacks, and if you remember. Um, going back to Re- Wrestle Kingdom 10, right? Mm-hmm. And the seminal moment was the wrist control. Wrist control, yes. And it couldn't be broken. And eventually that was Tanahashi's undoing that. Even though Tanahashi kept coming back, coming back, he couldn't break the wrist control. He ended up eating multiple Rainmakers and then got put away. Then fast forward a few years and just a few months ago when they had their match, uh, you know – that main event for for the uh, you know for the title reign defense limit or whatever you want to say, um, right at the end of that match, the big callback spot was that Okada had the the wrist control again, and Tanahashi, to his credit, was able to slap him and finally break the wrist control. And he thought to himself, "I've done it." <laughs> yeah. And he tried to run off, and I think he was either going to go to the top or do a uh, uh, like a sling blade. And Okada, thinking on his feet, grabbed his tights, tights yes. pulled him back, and rainmakered him, and and that was it. And he got caught. Yeah. And it was like you made he made one mistake, and he got put down. That was so. That's that's what was so incredible about the f- the finale of this match was that the same thing happened. 
He slapped Okada. He broke the freaking wrist control. He tried to run off. Okada thought called back to the spot, grabbed his tights. Went for the Rainmaker again. Went for the Rainmaker, missed, and Tahashi. Big palm strike, I takes mean, him down. That that the, the crazy thing about it is when he struck him like that, it was like the will to keep going. Yes. Just got knocked completely. Like, we joked about this. We said he knocked the red out, out of Okada's hair. hair. Yes. Like, he, he literally just, this broken Okada was never going to be able to beat Tanahashi on this night. Yeah. Like, he did not have an answer for what Tanahashi was doing. And, like, he tried to get going and he tried to, you know, get his, get his game plan going. But... Tanahashi was just was like a one step ahead of him the whole time and then yeah he hit that big palm strike went for the high fly flow and Okada kicked out right as time expired and that was almost like I loved that when he kicked out uh, basically like at that point right before that Tanahashi and Kevin Kelly was talking about this where he didn't have time was about to expire he didn't have to go for the high fly flow right he, he could have just powdered he could have powdered and walked away and, and held the moral victory, but he wanted to beat the ace and show everybody that, like, Tanahashi's still here, you yes. know? 06 Tanahashi's still here. <laughs> he, y'all, y'all, y'all said he was gone, but he never went away. Like, right. Like, Don't call it a comeback. Yeah. He's been here for years. Um, the thing with this is it really created the impression that, yes, Okada was able to kick out. Or kick out. Yes, they went to a time limit draw, but this was not the picture of two years ago when Okada and Tanahashi went to the limit and they both ended up sprawled out on the mat and you didn't know who was the better man. Right. This was Tanahashi, you give him two more minutes, three more minutes, and it's it's a wrap. Yeah. Now I will say this, I was afraid because they were building up that moment where Tanahashi was going to the top. I was very afraid that Okada was gonna catch him slipping. Mm. I just I had that feeling because remember when we talked about how in the last match Tanahashi was starting to come on, he grabbed the tights, pulled him back, Rainmaker one two three, and that was it. He caught him. He just he was. It was a last like right. Yeah, and I was like Okada's gonna do something crazy right here, and because I'm not used to Okada getting slapped and then the will to survive and the will to fight just goes out of him. I'm I'm used to championship, you know. Big match, big match, Okada. Right, and he took, he ate the high five flow, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> dude! I thought it was, I thought it was gonna be a pinfall. I did too, I did too. Yeah. And he kicked out, yes, but they, they basically told the story that like, hey, it, it was like a visual like defeat. Like, we're prote- they protected Okada because he has the deniability, but deep down he has to publicly basically come to grips with the idea that like, oh wow, I've de- degenerated to the point where this guy who. Couldn't hasn't been able to beat me in three years. Just really like kicked my ass, basically. Right, and you know Okada's Okada's broken, bro. He's just bro- like this match shows more than any other match during the whole tournament that like he has to evolve, he has to change because where he's at, he's not in a good place. And Tanahashi, the ace is here, man. Yeah, the ace is here. The ace is rising. Both men, incredible selling. The high stakes of the match, like, just so much callback. Like, I, I dug this a lot. I really, yes, really, really this, dug this. Yeah. Best A block match of the whole, the whole tournament. By far. By far. We're going to get to our top ten, guys, but we only had two matches from the entire A block that were even in consideration for what we consider our top ten list. Right. 
And one of them, we cut out the other one, which I'll just say it was Tanahashi and Suzuki. It was like only in contention for a bottom place spot, and we cut it pretty early. Yeah, because there was so much stuff in B block. So, but this was right up there with anything in in the B block. When you talk about drama, storytelling, athleticism, and here's the thing: was this like you know Ishii and Omega? Or Ishii and Ibushi or Ibushi Omega. Like, no. No, no. We already said, like, this was a relatively safe match. But when you talk about big match feel, when you talk about, like, the rich history of them wrestling one another, someone who doesn't really watch New Japan might turn tune in and watch this and be like, that was very good, but maybe not appreciate it. Yeah. The way that if you've been watching their, you know, five, six-year rivalry you wouldn't be able to appreciate it. Yeah. That's that long-term storytelling, man, that they do in New Japan. It is so calculated, so rich, and, like, we get rewarded for this stuff, man. Yeah, man. And uh, something I noted, man, the crowd was firmly behind Tanahashi, oh. bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? They were they were earlier in the year as well. Right. And I think almost any time that Tanahashi wrestles... I'm trying to think of who has ever really been cheered against Tanahashi. Oh, Tanahashi, yeah. Nobody, really. Naito. Naito has, for sure. Especially at uh, their Wrestle Kingdom match. Yes, the, the IC title match. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's so few and far between. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, at one point, I'm I'm trying to... Um, Nakamura mm. was right there in popularity and probably... But it was more split. Yeah. But, I mean, it's there's so few guys. And even Okada, who is a superstar over there. Yeah. This... The people in Japan are always going to love Tanahashi. I mean, he is Japanese Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And, I mean, he saved New Japan from the, you know, the this, dark times. This dude carried this company on his back, man. Yeah. You know? So, the I mean, like... The team on his back, though. <laughs> so, I mean, this was incredible. So, Tanahashi. And also, I want to say this. You know, I think we both held off on making our final prediction or like our predictions. I didn't do a pick 'em this year. You did. Let's let's not talk about that. <laughs> and I think I think ultimately you were predicting uh, a Naito victory. Yeah. In the finals, mm-hmm. and I think earlier in the year, for most of the year, I've been well. I think earlier in the year, you you were predicting o- Okada. Yes. Until oh. the recent turn of events, mm-hmm. and I've been predicting Naito pretty much all year, given. The booking that they've put him through. Yeah. I also was telling people, like, I thought it was too cool for school, man. I was like, <laughs> just wait till the G1 comes. Naito's going to Naito, be <laughs> Naito, big match Naito showing up. And so I have I literally was thinking the whole time that Naito was going to go to the finals. But I, once the blocks came out, once the dates got mentioned, I was like, there's no way I could predict this crap. I, I couldn't see it. And then, like, two or three weeks ago, we're just sitting there. And I was just like, I just started looking at it. And I was like... Oh my god, it's going to be Tanahashi. And when if you listen to our first few couple like week reviews of the G1, we were not talking about Tanahashi. Dude, being, yeah, he was like an afterthought. We weren't even we weren't even thinking about it. We we're like Tanahashi is a guy who could be in, you know, in the, like we thought he'd be one of those guys like Jay White who's right there towards right, the end. Right, if he won, maybe he could get he can get in. And but. we're so stupid because we knew that the main event of the final night was going to be Okada Tanahashi. And I think I even made mention. I was at one point. I was like, "Is he is he going to lose to Okada t- again?" Yeah, you did. I mean, yeah, you did say that. And then, but, but then we just breezed past it, and yeah. it was right there in front of our eyes the whole time. And like two or three weeks ago, I just was sitting there in my room. I was looking at these brackets and how they're playing out, and I was like, "Oh my god, 
Tanahashi is going to win the whole G1. And I w- and that seems so ridiculous. And last week was when we finally dropped that, you know, that that was kind of what we were both starting to see. Yeah. And But there was still that doubt in my mind the whole time. And I watched this match thinking, like, is he going to beat Okada? Like, is because I could totally have seen Okada going to the finals. It would have made a lot of sense. Nah. They went with the ace, man. The ace. They went with the ace. Like, this is incredible. The man of talent. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, that that's going to take us to the B block. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, night 18. Yes. Yeah, so, night 18 in the semi-main, it was um, blank in here. It was uh, Saber and Naito. Zack Saber Jr. versus Naito. Right. Before we move on, we had uh, Rich Latta. Shout out to Rich. What up, Rich? Um, he was over here watching one of these shows with us, and he actually had mentioned that he didn't like the lighting for Nippon Budokan. Mm. Um, what did you think? Because I, I also saw other people kind of criticizing the setup and how things looked. What, what were your feelings with the setup of the building? Honestly, I, I really didn't have a problem with the setup. I mean... I thought it was fine, and it's something we've mentioned before on this show. Like we like how all these different arenas kind of have their own kind of layout and setup. And honestly, I was fine with the set and the lighting. I didn't, it really didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I kind of the only reason I mention it is because I've heard other people mention it too. And while I was watching it, it I thought it it looked fantastic. Yeah. But the more I started reflecting on it today, I thought to myself, you know, some of these other shows have had like the way the lighting is and stuff yeah I'm sure if like, I look back there are shows that have better lighting better but, better yeah yeah but f- at, the, at the time I was so into the, the G1 and just watching like another I, thing I thought about is the way that they set up the barricades and everything like that they had the f- fans were kind of far back they were far almost like at Wrestle Kingdom which yeah. kind of makes sense with the Tokyo Dome obviously but they sold those two buildings out if they had brought more fans in, you think they probably could have sold more floor seats, which obviously is a lot of their, you know, they, those are the most expensive seats. Mm-hmm. I feel like they probably could have done, done better business in those two buildings. Right, yeah, because the setup was not set. I think that building can hold like 16,000. And what, they did like 12 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was not set up. The, with, the, with the stage and with the, the seating layout, it was not set up for 16000 And, you know, for as much as we praise New Japan, there are times where there are criticisms. One of the biggest criticisms against them is they're very – one reason they haven't been to Nippon Budokan is because what the last time they were there was like 2002, 2003, something like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm going too far back, but they haven't drawn in places like that. So I think maybe there's that apprehension to go – quote unquote all in <laughs> you know for yeah. fear that maybe they don't sell out or maybe you know what I mean maybe they they overbook but I mean with the cards that they put together and the matches the anticipation for this G1 I felt like they should have done more and like been a little more um, just bold with the way that they set that they could have they definitely could have done more tickets for sure yeah that's my opinion I mean I don't know I'm not an analyst over in Japan but it just seemed like with how hot these two cards were and the fact that they haven't been there in years and, and how hot wrestling is getting in Japan they probably should have tried to lay it out better they probably yeah. should have yeah. yeah that's just my take on it I don't know yeah I mean overall I mean I also like we're not too big on the stage setup and New Japan's not one of those companies but I mean this is the G1 finals man like yeah. they, that setup is the kind of setup that they have during like you know, regular night shows for like the uh, like New Japan Cup. Yeah, like I I was expecting them to have maybe a little bit more glitzy presentation for things. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, I'm not trying to get too critical or anything like that. But I, th- those are just a few like little nitpicky things that I like noticed that was like, huh, like you know, this is like their third biggest show of the year, pretty much, essentially. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I really didn't zero into that at all when I was watching it. Yeah, so, um, but let's go to uh, Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, so, once again, similar situation to A Block. Uh, Naito had to win if he wanted any chance to advance. And his chances were much more slim, even if he won, than Jay White. Because yeah. he doesn't have the tiebreakers over Omega or Ibushi. So, he would have needed certain situations like a draw or like a, like a DQ. Or not a DQ, but like a no contest to occur. Right. In order for him to even be able to be a factor at the end. So, yeah. So, I mean, this was a great matchup here. Um a lot of callbacks once again to their New Japan Cup matchup. Um, just you know, Saber doing his thing, catching moves, getting him into submissions, uh, really making Naito struggle. What and did you What did you think about uh, like as far as your thoughts going into this? Did you? Um, well, let me ask you two things. Did you think that Jay White was going to lose, and did you think that? Uh, um, did you think that? Uh, What's wrong with me? Naito. Naito was going to win or lose going into this situation. Um, I think I thought that Jay White was going to lose. Like, I think they were teasing the whole, like, if Okada wins, gets Jay White in a little too much for me. So I did think Jay White was going to lose. Like, his whole plan was going to, like, blow up in his face. But here, I did think Naito was going to win just because his chances were still so small, depending on the outcome of uh, Omega and Ibushi. That you put him, basically you put him over and it creates a scenario where there's that doubt that if something happens, he could still be in play. Right. And another reason why I went with Naito winning is because since Sabre beat him in New Japan Cup, usually um, those guys get the win back. If you look at Look at it. Everybody else that faced Saber in the New Japan Cup yep. got their wins back in this tournament. You are correct, sir. So it's like, oh, well, Naito's definitely going to get his win back. Nope, not today. We're we're right on the same page, bro, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, you know, I wasn't so much thinking about this scenario, the first part that you pointed out, but just in my recollection, I was like, you know, Sonata beat, you know, beat uh, Zack Saber Jr. Um, who else did he beat or who else did he lose to from the um, Saber he lost to Sonata he lost to Sonata lost to Ishii no he tapped Ishii out right yeah he tapped out Ishii um and he tapped they beat Juice um I'll take a look cause he lost he lost three matches so he he lost to Omega, but he didn't face Omega in the New Japan. Maybe Cup. Sonata. Was, oh, uh, was Sonata the only guy that he wrestled that was in the New Japan Cup? I thought there wasn't there one more. I don't know. the The only one that really sticks, Kota Ibushi. Oh yeah, he beat Kota Ibushi in the New Japan Cup. He beat Sonata in the New Japan Cup, right? And then turned around and lost to both of them in this tournament, which, which made you think, oh. Naito Naito was the third guy. Right. He's, yep. he's going to get his win back. I thought so too. And also just with the with the turbulent booking of Tetsuya Naito this past year, it just made all the sense in the world to make him look strong and you know, a guy that they really built up so well over the past year in Zack Sabre Jr. It just seemed like that's that's the way you go. You give him that victory and they didn't go that way. And um yeah, let's let's get in this match. <laughs> yeah, so you know, great matchup, a lot of great submissions from Saber, a lot of you know, great European cu- uppercuts, and just a lot of great, um, innovative, awesome offense from him. Pretty much making Naito um, struggle and fight back. 
But uh, the big story of this match was came down to the finish. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. counters the Destino. Naito tries for it again. Sabre counters it again and hits the Sabre Driver, a.k.a. the Michinoku Driver, for the pinfall. And Sabre pins Naito. I think that was his only pinfall victory of the whole tournament. Everybody else he tapped out. Wow. Because um, the Sabre Driver was something they teased on the first night on the A Block undercard. Yeah. That, it was. You know, Taka passed this move down to Sabre, and he started calling him the pro wrestling master this whole tour. Yep. Yet, he was still tapping everybody out. Yeah. So, it was like you kind of forgot about the Sabre driver being an option, and boom, when you least expect it, he pulled out the Sabre driver here, got the win, showed why he's the pro wrestling master, why it's Zack Sabre time, and he is uh, in the block with 12 points. Was this the match where Naito hit that running Destino that was so beautiful? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so my God. That was something where, you know, we kind of had a disagreement a few weeks ago, and I think some of the uh, some of the listeners actually called me out on it because I, you're not the only fan of the running Destino. My thing about it in the past has been when he doesn't land it well, I don't like it. Yeah. But when he lands it like this... It is. A thing it was of beauty. sick. We, yeah. we, were, we were actually like arguing about it a little bit while the match was happening, yeah. and then like as soon as and then he hit that ring to see, I was like, "See, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> that right there." <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, he he hit the running Destino, and then he tried a second time, and it got countered into the the Zack driver, which actually like that popped me so hard because I didn't see it coming. I literally did not see that counter coming, and it came. It was like out of nowhere, and I yes. was like. He just I, and I was like, "That's it. That's one, two, three. And then it, it was, and I was like, "Oh, he he beat Naito again." Yeah. And then I was like, "Wow." Like, you know, and there were a lot of people um, that were kind of like doubting Saber's position in the company. You know, he got this huge push, the New Japan Cup, got the title match with Okada, and then kind of disappeared. Like he wasn't on the tour after that. So people were like, "Uh, oh, they're not really doing anything with Saber." Like that was just a one-time push. But I was like. Nope. Man, wait. They, they don't give you a New Japan Cup push like that if they're not planning to do something with you later. I was like, wait like till a G1, man. Especially like. since it's not just that. You know, there are guys who've had New Japan Cup victories and stuff like that, and they didn't end up doing, you know, like, for instance, like, Abushi comes to mind. You know, great New Japan Cup, but then kind of fizzled out, like, later in the year after the G1 and stuff like that. Um, Goto's another guy. But when you look at who he beat in that tournament. Yeah. You know, going through Kota Ibushi, going through Sonata, going through Naito, and then ultimately, like, beating the ace. And the way he beat them all, so conclusively, yeah. so dominantly. Tap, that, well, tap you can't tell out, me right? that this... Yeah, he tapped every single one of them out. There's no way that this company doesn't have big plans for Zack Sabre Jr. And, and look at... See right here, he... 12 points. He tied for a four-way tie for first place in right. the D-block. Right. So, yeah. And, um, um, I was a, a little shocked here. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, we had a question from uh, Howard Schilling. He said, do you think Sabre would have won more in the tournament if he had utilized the Zack driver? Well, you know, my initial knee-jerk response to that is I don't know if he can land that on everybody. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Well, yeah, because, I mean, let's really think about it, okay? If I'm a 300 close to – I mean, not everyone's that big, but, like, I don't know. If I'm Godo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I'm Goto or kind of more uh, B 
beefy guy. Right. Or let's say, I know they weren't in the same block, but let's say I'm Elgin. And am I going to let Zack Sabre Jr. Zach drive me. Michinoku drive me, like, head first like that? When it's traditionally not, I mean, you don't really see heavyweights use that move, and there's a good reason for it. It's, a, it's an extremely dangerous move. Um, just in general, you have to... Smaller guys take that move. It ju- it's just a, a fact of the way that the move is. Um, but then I, but that's my initial reaction. Can he do that to everybody? But then I think about it. Like, who did he lose to in this tournament? He lost to Kotobushi. He lost to Kenny Omega, and he had a third loss. Who was it? Um, I don't know, I'm trying to remember. I know I'm like blanking right now. Sonata. Yeah, he lost. Yeah, to Sonata. Sonata, Sonata. Yeah. I think he could land it on all three of those guys. So if we're talking straight kayfabe and then also safety, I think those are three of the. I don't. I wouldn't call them little guys, but lighter. But they don't have a. The, they're the not that wide much, build. None of them are much bigger than say Naito. Right. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So would he hypothetically have one more if he tried to utilize that move? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Well, I don't know if probably because. Gator's the booker. <laughs> he decides who wins. Um, I do wonder why they held off using this for so long. Maybe it was because the payoff was this. To was to, this. Yeah. yeah, which is great. Um, they didn't even really tease it during matches. No, not at all. That's the one thing. I mean, you forgot about it. Like, you kind of forgot he, that it he even He won with it the first, the undercard night, on the first night on the A block. And then you never heard it. You never seen it until tonight. Until yeah, last I mean, night. we were talking about it, and I was like, he's going to Zach drive someone during this tournament. And, like, he wasn't doing it. And I was like, he wasn't even trying to use it. And maybe maybe it's like, um, I don't know, one way I like to think about it, just in a kayfabe sense, is, like, he's so skilled and accustomed to his game that for him to kind of break out something new, like add that new little wrinkle, it's almost like an uncomfortable sort of thing. Like, he hasn't, quote, unquote, Mastered, yeah. The the Zach driver. It's, it's almost like a, <clears throat> in case of emergency button. Like yeah. I can use this if I need to counter something crazy and like break the glass. Like I mean, the way he's he's not setting it up the way that you would a traditional finishing move where he's you know signaling for it. This came. This was from out of Zack Saber driver out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like that's what it was. Yes. And um, I don't know if he's going to continue that or maybe like. Maybe it's going to be something where, like, oh, oh, you didn't know? Right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Zach drive somebody. <laughs> da, 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 da. Right. Maybe in the future it will turn into something where he will either, like, maybe he'll build it up in the future. But I would like – I almost would like it if it was, like, like you said, like an in-case-of-emergency, like, or maybe he only uses it. Like, that's why I loved the diamond cutter so much. Yeah. Remember, like, yes, DDP had a way to set it up and all that, but – But a lot of times it came out of nowhere. It, came out it of literally nowhere. came out of nowhere. And with so many guys that have these moves where they, like, try to, like, hoist you up and stuff, that Zack Driver can literally – that drive that move, it's a body slam into a pile driver. I mean – that can be so many moves can be countered into that, especially with the creative ways that Zach counters guys. So yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. What do you think? You think he would have won more if he used it? Probably, because I'm sure they would have wanted to. If he was going to win with it, they would have wanted to establish he can win with it more. That's a, so, that's a really good point. So yeah, that's a really good point. And I think they did establish it. It, it, right. it took one, and well, Naito yeah. went to sleep. Yeah. Well, they 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 showed it the first night, the A block night, and then. How about Zack Sabre Jr. during the um, like press conferences and the build-ups to this, saying like he just wanted to take Naito out of the running because he just doesn't like him and he yeah. thinks he's a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he succeeded in his mission. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and then we we'll get to it, but then we ended up with uh kind of like Suzuki Goon and um LIJ in a multi-man mm, match again. Yes. And it's it's almost like it's a continuation of the feud that he had with Suzuki earlier in the year and the feud that he had with Taichi and the feud that he had with uh Zack Saber. It seems like they're almost going that direction again. again. Yeah. So very interesting. Very the, the heat runs deep. Yes. So that brings us to the main event: Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi. Six Golden years Lo- in the making, yes, man. Golden Lovers collide. Uh, we had the Young Bucks out of ringside. Um, they were kind of like, I guess they were second in Omega, but they were kind of like in the middle. I guess kind of. Like, they were neutral. Yeah. They didn't come out with either guy's entrance. I don't know if you noticed yes. that. And I know uh, being the elite, we'll talk about that later, but they did mention, like, we're going to give them their entrance and come out after. Like, they were there, obviously, to support Kenny, but they're all part of the golden elite, quote-unquote. Right. So they, they showed they showed neutrality. In fact, at many points, you saw them in the neutral corners, just kind of observing. And they weren't even really, like, in, in, in other matches, sometimes they will give support to Kenny and call things out to him and help him in different ways, and they didn't do any of that here. They were just an impartial party observing the match. Yeah. Just looking out for their two best, best buddies. seats in the arena. That's why I'm the young boy, bro. <laughs> because the young boys have the best seats in the arena. I mean, occasionally I might get hit in the jaw by like Suzuki <laughs> or you know, I might get thrown into a barricade by you know Dude, Suzuki was trying to gotch one of them boys on the outside. Yeah, stuff like that happens to me from time to time. But I mean, it, at the end of the, I might have to wash somebody's balls every once in a while, like in the dojo, like you know, freaking uh, what's his name, uh, Dave Finley. Dave Finley status. But hey, oh my god, those are the dues you got to pay for this business that I love. love yes, and oh. and if I get to watch the Ace ringside, then oh my god, I would love to be ringside for. Her. For a freaking New Japan match. anything, yes. Oh, uh, my God. I've been ringside. The only thing I've ever really been ringside to is UFC one time, mm. which was amazing. Yeah, I've never been ringside. I've always been a little, like, usually, like, the, the section right above. Ringside's great. Like, I know we talk about, like, the floor is not great, but when it's ringside, mm-hmm. there's a reason. It, it, it actually is great. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so let's let's talk about Omega and Ibushi, man. Yes, the match that was six years in the making Dude, this match, I, I wrote down freaking phenomenal. Like, <laughs> that's all I wrote down. It was freaking, like, this match was just crazy, the stuff they were doing in this matchup. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it's just an awesome main event. I mean, you know, I have I didn't, I have not seen the match that they had before in DDT. Uh, so this was the first Bushi Omega match one-on-one that I've ever seen. Uh, but man, it, it blew me away. It 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 over exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Um, I was lucky enough to actually wake up early Saturday morning, and this just happened to be literally going on. Um, to Richard, actually messaged me. He's like, "It's it's on, it's on, it's on," and I was like, "All right." Like I hadn't even like gotten out of bed yet or anything. I was just like. You turn on my Chromecast and just put it on and I was like oh my god like Ibushi's coming out now like this is great <laughs> and then um, I was in the middle of the match right mm-hmm. and there was a part where Omega threw you know he Irish whipped uh, Ibushi into the into the ropes and then he did a uh, like a Hurricane Rana 
and my entire feed just dropped in them. I was like, no! I don't know if you could even hear me in there. You're probably still asleep. No, yeah, I didn't hear you. But I, I literally, I, I freaked out. I was like, no! And then um, I, I like just feverishly, I'm working to get like my Chromecast back up. I'm like, what happened? I come back and they're working like Omega's trying to one wing angel Abushi out of the, the apron. Yeah. And Abushi's trying to work for a deadlift German. And I'm like, how much of the match did I miss? You know, like I, I was like, how did they get to this point? For, and, I, and I was like, I probably just I thought I was lagging and I thought I missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Later in the day, we went back and we watched the match and I was like, oh, you're like, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> I didn't miss anything. Like it, it was a few seconds later. They were going from that spot to all of a sudden like they're, they're fighting for their lives on, on, the, on the apron. <laughs> and I was like, they really like I thought I missed a big chunk of the match. I didn't realize that like this match only went like 20 minutes and it felt bro. It felt like a, like an eleven or twelve minute match. How quick everything! Dude, I mean, yes. the, the pace these guys. You want to talk about work rate? This is Dude, extreme the, level yes, work rate. The work rate was super high here. I mean, just the stuff they're pulling off. What about Abushi's new moonsault uh, knee gimmick that he's doing? Um, I thought that that was maybe the one of the worst spots of the entire match. By worse, I mean like as far as damage and, and like shock factor. I the way I, I don't think he intended this, but you know, he broke that out again later on in another match, but when he did it here, he didn't land the way you traditionally would want to, with maybe like say your calves more the calves on the chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your ankles landing on the chest. He literally both his knees went straight into Kenny's sternum and you saw Kenny's whole sternum give. And it was like there was no that there's no there's no bracing yourself for that sort of impact. You just right. take you just it. T- yeah. I was like, dude, Kenny could have broke a rib. Kenny could have broke a sternum. Like he could like that was bad, really, yeah. really bad. And I was just like, I was like, oh my! I <laughs> didn't know he's gonna do that, dude. So many people like popped and were shocked by that move. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, 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 really crazy. And of course, I didn't keep a count, but there were plenty of V triggers. And dude, the the sound. I know he doesn't always connect like the knee to the face, like flush all time. But the sound though that he gets that thing to make, just it sucks me in every time. I'm a mark for the V trigger. Like every time it hits, I'm just like, oh my gosh! Some, uh, one of the V triggers to the back of Kotobushi's head, in like specifically while he was standing, was just so vicious and nasty looking. There was also a point where he had Koda in the corner, the way that he sets up the running uh, V-trigger from the other corner. Yeah. And the Bucks were right there looking at Kota Bushi, and it was like, uh, Kevin Kelly had a great call where he was like, they want to warn him and tell him to move, but they can't. Yeah. And they didn't. And it was like, they just had to sit there and watch, <laughs> watch these guys kill it. each yes. other. Oh my gosh. Um, and then, dude... Coming on to the end of the match, the Super Tiger Driver by Ibushi off the top. Oh, my gosh. Jun Akiyama actually innovated that move. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter was talking about it. They call it the uh, Tiger Driver 01. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, that that was – I mean, I can't remember if I've ever seen that in any match, to be honest with you. It Scary. Really, 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 yeah. really scary I mean, stuff. I, I, I joked during the, the uh, Best of Super Juniors that uh, whenever Tiger, Tiger Mask would go up there and he would hook a double bu- uh, a butterfly lock, but it looked like he, he ended up just doing like a butterfly suplex. I was like, oh, man, I wish he would do a Tiger Driver. There was one point in the match that really had me scared for real uh, was when they went for this, uh, the dragon suplex off the top rope. Mm. 
But instead of doing it the way he had done to Okada in at Wrestle Kingdom, where Okada was just seated on the top rope and then he was on the second rope and then did it, um, they were both standing on the top rope at the same time. And I was like, there's no way that the angle could even – like there's no way it could work. Like yeah. I was like – but all I could see in my head, I was like, these guys are crazy enough to go from the top rope and just drop him on his head. Just dropping him on yep. his effing head. And instead, luckily, Ibushi flipped over. Yes. But I, I was literally like, my heart was pounding and I was like, please don't do this, guys. Yes. Like, please don't do this. Dude, yeah. You know, remember at um, um, the last uh, Long Beach show, they were chanting, please don't die with yeah. Cody and Kenny in the ladder? Yeah. That's, what, that's what I was thinking when those guys were up there. Were you surprised that Ibushi didn't jump off anything in Budokan? I am. Because, <laughs> you know, the ban was lifted. I don't know if that was still a rule. I was expecting him to be like, let's nah. <laughs> they won't. They won't let Okada have balloons in the Budokan, okay? Yeah. Like, they're not going to let like Okada bring balloons. There's no way they're letting freaking Ibushi jump <laughs> off a balcony. Um, this match was just... And then, dude, the strikes... From both guys. Oh, yes. Just the, the, the strikes. The lariats, the palm strikes, the, the knees, the kicks. Yeah. Oof, man. Um, we talk about it all the time, but the J-Driller. Uh, yes, dude. I think Kenny Omega does a J-Driller better than Jay Briscoe. I agree. I agree he does. Um, Ibushi actually went up top and tried to hit the Phoenix Splash, which is definitely a callback to their whole history together and their mm-hmm. previous match as well. Um, and then we were at 20 minutes in and... You know, Kenny just leveled Ibushi with the V-trigger. Um, he tried to hit the one-winged angel. Ibushi countered it out of it. Uh, and then Omega hit the Amori driver, which was just like, oh, my God. He went for the cover, hit him with another V-trigger. And then um, he tried to do the super one-winged angel, what we had seen him. He landed right. that on um, Trent Beretta, right? Yeah. Yeah, the U.S. title matchup. And you kind of just knew if he landed that 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 was probably going to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, from there... Abushi just fought for his life. He climbed on Omega's back. He hit the the double stomp uh, on his neck, bro. Yes. Oh my, oh my god. Gosh. Yeah. And then um, the Super Tiger Driver. Omega somehow kicked out, and then he hit him with the Kamagoye to finish it, which was just just incredible, man. Just incredible. Yeah. Um, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful match. Yeah. And you know what? The thing too that we hadn't really discussed about this match. There's, um, you know, night fourteen or. What night was it? What was the night that we hadn't reviewed? Was it 16? 16, yeah. So night 16, um, you know, essentially you had Naito wrestling. um, Who did Naito wrestle that night? And the undercard, the tag match? No, no, no. On night 16. Oh, sorry. sorry. I keep thinking that's A block and B block night. Um, Naito wrestled. I mean, I can't remember right now. I'll look it up real quick. All right. But um, just the most professional of all podcasts right here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so essentially, like Night Sixteen played a huge role into building to this, and I know that we hadn't covered it on the previous episode. But um, you know, Tamatanga was going up against Ibushi, and they just they cheated and essentially ended up beating Ibushi. And then, you know, if Omega had won his next match, it probably would have created a scenario where. It wouldn't have mattered what Abushi did. That would have probably, like, Omega was going to win the block. And he wrestled Toriano in a crazy comedy match. We'll probably talk more about that, you know, when we give our grades. But eventually the um, 
the Tongans and the and uh, the OG Bullet Club interfered and ended up, you know, creating a scenario where Toriano picked up the win. Um, with that all being said, Tetsuya Naito ended up defeating Sonata. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what led us to these different scenarios. But the, the interesting thing is that with the cheating that the Tongans did during the Ibushi match and then the cheating that they did during the Omega match, um, there was all this buzz and all this concern about, well, what's going to what's gonna happen, essentially, if they interfere in the main event? Mm-hmm. Which, even during um, Night 17, when Kenny Omega and Ibushi were involved in that six-man tag, the Tongans came and broke it all up. And so Harold Mai basically like had an announcement and a rule concerning the Tongans, right? Right. So Harold, he said that you know the Tongans could not interfere in any B-block matches or they would be suspended, I believe, for like three months and fined. Yeah. And then so did they – when did they get kicked out? I'm trying to remember during that night. They got kicked out um, – Was it during a Fale after a Fale match? No, no, no. During during night seventeen, was it was it during the B block or was it during A block? I literally cannot remember. I'm like blanking on it. They got kicked out. They got kicked out that night. night. It was night seventeen. They got no, no night the night eighteen. Yeah, they got kicked. Essentially, though, they were teasing that basically, if they interfered in any match, that they were going to be um, suspended for three months. And so it kind of created this like tension where it's like, okay, if they interfere and cause like a no de- no decision or a DQ, like what's going to essentially happen? Mm-hmm. Especially with people not knowing necessarily if Naito was going to beat Zack Saber or not. Yeah, it was the uh, Tamatonga Toriano match. Okay, so did they, they got kicked out after it or before it? After. Okay, so after that match, they got basically kicked out of the building. Right. Which you kind of thought like, are they going to come back and ruin this main event? And I think that that was one of the interesting things of the weekend was so many people were predicting like that they're going to play a role in this uh, Ibushi and Omega match. And it just never ended up happening, which was kind of like a brilliant thing because, you know, it, it was like a red herring all along. Mm-hmm. Like you thought that you thought that they were definitely going to interfere in Kenny's final match and kind of screw up the G1 for everybody, basically. And uh, we had a question concerning um, this whole angle and. Uh, President Harold from Reddit user JR Nevermore. He says, how do you feel about the increased on-screen presence of President Harold in the Bullet Club Civil War storyline, such as when ordering the OGs out of the arena? Personally, I've enjoyed seeing him on-screen so far because at this point it comes across as a novelty. However, I do worry about authority figures taking up the spotlight and overstaying their welcome due to some other product that I have not had the displeasure of viewing in the past four months. Also, has there been any? There's been uh, much debate regarding the legitimacy of his ban on swearing, regardless of the ban status. It is being used to be a part of the storyline, mixing reality and fantasy, as most great storylines do. What are your thoughts on the ban and how's it being and how it's being ignored by the OGs? And he says he hopes to see us at all in. Nice. Who is that? Reddit user who? JR Nevermore. JR Nevermore, man. You got to hit us up. Yes, we'll be there. We'll be there. Maybe you can uh, give us a ride to the hotel or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to figure out if we're going to get around while we're over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be at All In. And um, to kind of address some of that, I mean, what do you think about the you know the OG Bullet Club just to start off? Um, you mean just like... with In regards to his yeah. question. So, yeah. So, with uh, Harold kind of being on screen... 
Um, so far, I'm kind of agreement with Jr. here. Like, I, I the the couple appearances he's had, like I haven't minded because like he just take over this company. Like they're ruining like the best, like one of the best parts of New Japan every year. This G1 tournament that has so much tradition, and you know, with no authority figure, like people kind of like run amok. So you kind of need somebody to step in there and keep the Tongans out. So I was fine with that. Yeah, I mean, it's been this company in in the past has had the tendency when they do certain angles like this, it can be very over the top mm-hmm. um, and very overstated. Whereas this was much more understated. Um, you know, the the few appearances we've seen from Harold Mayan, uh, aside from that time when he ran down to the ring, like, <laughs> like the yeah, Ultimate and, Warrior, and get the promo video with the phone call. Yeah, and that was the first like little red flag where I was like, I don't think I like that. To yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I was like, they're, they're putting Harold Mai over more than like almost any of the like C block competitors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, with that being said, if this continues, I'm not going to be a fan of it. I, I am I am critical of it to a degree. I don't think New Japan needs it. I do think though, I am a fan of the idea that there is an IWGP committee. Yeah, who passes rulings because obviously like. At this point, the IWGP is just a couple letters that are on a belt, and it's not an actual – it's nothing. You know what I mean? Right. It's supposed to be something, but it doesn't actually exist. Everyone kind of knows that it falls on the CEO and it falls on the president of the company, um, which I'd be much more a fan if there was like a fictional – IWGP that was like – Yeah, like they just pass on rulings and you don't see them. This company hasn't really needed – um, to have like an authority figure in the past, so I'm not a huge fan of them um, instituting one at this point. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but with that being said, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and criticize it too too heavily because it's not like it's really ruining the product or anything yet. But if it continues, I'm not going to be a fan. As far as like, where do you think? Um, you know, because part of his question was, where do we see the OG Bullet Club storyline kind of going? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um. You know, post tournament. Yeah. I think that's what he asked, right? Uh, well, he was talking about um, how the the OGs kind of ignoring the the ban, the uh, swearing ban. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, actually, actually, you're absolutely right. So I think I'm thinking of another question that yeah. we talked about, but um, I suspect heavily that what he said is is true. That it's rooted slightly in truth and then rooted slightly in kayfabe because I'm not so sure how serious they're taking the ban um, right. there's a I lot mean, of- Tam- yeah Tam- Tam- or, I mean Take a Low is still cussing out there they're, Makabe. They're wearing shirts that have the F word on them. Right. Um, you know, we'll talk about it, but I mean, you know, Peter was out there like basically doing a strip tease during <laughs> matches. Right. I, I don't know how serious they're taking this sort of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but with that being said, um, we've talked about how if this company does want to progress, there does need to be some changes. Although to this point, I mean, it's not like they're losing sponsors over what they've done so far, but I'm gain- I'm guessing that they're probably going to be aiming in the near future to gain more sponsors yeah and you do have to be a bit more mainstream and a bit less you know rough around the edges if you want to do that so i don't i really don't know what to say i still suspect that a lot of this stuff i suspect that and maybe i'm being a conspiracy theorist but i think that tamatong attacking that fan was a plant i still suspect that um you know them having repercussions for him 
is a story part line. of the storyline. Yeah, and I think that it's all it's all storyline. That's yeah. just my, but that's always what I feel when I'm dealing with you know carny pro wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, you always feel like you're getting worked. We're we're out with some of the guys the other night, and they were trying to tell. We're out with some of our wrestling fan wrestling friends, and they're trying to tell me something you know that was a shoot and I was like no this is just a super work you guys you're, you guys are working me on five different levels and, and they're like no 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 I was like no you're you're literally working me right now like you're you, you guys are all the workers I'm the mark and this thing's super meta right you're now like, no man no man <laughs> and I was like I'm wise to what you guys are doing I just I can't believe anything they say you know I, I, yeah. I'm just like alright we're out we're out here at Applebee's and you guys are still part doing the show like you guys are cutting promos and crap like, <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, so um, the closing of this match. So Abushi hits that super tiger driver. He hits a Kamagoye. One, two, three. Abushi once again beats Kenny Omega, and Abushi moves on to face the Ace in the G in the G One Finals. What were your final thoughts and opinions on this match? I mean, obviously, we know that you think uh, you thought it was freaking phenomenal, but I mean, like, what did you feel? What were you thinking? You know, how did you react to it? And what do you Dude. see going forward for the Golden Lovers? I love the match. It was incredible. Um, you know, I was expecting a banger, and that's what I got. Um, as far as the future of the Golden Lovers, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we'll still we'll see some probably some tag matches coming up soon. But um, they they definitely even though this match is so incredible, the crazy thing is this match is so great. But I know that they are capable of better. They are capable of that mythical like six star level, and we're gonna get that match. Yeah, I don't know when, but we're getting another Omega Bushi match. Yeah, I mean this match. Um for me, like, yes, it definitely delivered, and I'm not going to sit here and criticize it and shortchange it. I mean, it, it's a match of the year contender, and, and it's absolutely an incredible match. With that being said, it felt like we talked about how fast they worked and the work rate and the big moves and all that. But, like, think about a match, for instance, like the tag team match between the Golden Lovers and the Young Bucks, and how many very emotional story driven plot elements there were to that match okay yeah you look at this match and this match was lacking that it was devoid of a lot of that it was and you almost would have thought given the history given the context given the weight that we would have seen an element of that but instead it was two guys that were both prize fighters putting everything aside and just going out there and having a war which is great but this did not in any way feel like the big blow-off match between the oh, Golden Lovers. Oh, no, no, no. It's not the blow It's just the start. Yeah, and the thing with that is we don't even know what Kenny Omega's status is going to be next year. I don't know that we ever do get another match for them. In a way, I felt somewhat, if, this, if I can even feel this way, we're so spoiled, but somewhat disappointed in the fact that I kind of suspect this could be one of their, maybe their one and only match in New Japan. I hope we see another one, but I'm not confident about it. And so for that to be the case that I'm like, man, they did it in the B block finals. This felt this should have been a this should have been a Tokyo Dome match. And we know that, you know, Ghetto Omega said, I forgot which podcast it was, but Ghetto asked him, you know, begged begged Omega, please, like I need this match for the B block final. Yeah, they begged him and they're like, This is what we want to do. And I'm almost hoping that like Omega was like, Okay, but here's the caveat. You we do this this time. And then 
we'll do it again. I, I don't think that like I, I'm really asking them in my mind to go out there and do crazier crap than they did here. That's not what this match needed. But I don't put this in the same kind of con like it was not to me in the same level as say like Omega Okada. Now, of course, that's that's a high order. It's a very tall order to ask. But when there's that extra story, you know what I mean? There's that extra storytelling, that extra drama of it. Whereas this felt like boom, 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 boom. And then it was over. And you're like, what just happened? Yeah. Which there's that place and time in pro wrestling. I didn't think that Omega and Okada, I'm sorry, Omega and Ibushi is the match where you should have potentially done that. This to me, it, you know, I was ready for the drama. I was ready. I was ready for something that we kind of we we the that extra level that a match can go to. We saw that in the G1 finals this year. We saw that with Okada Tanahashi, and that was somewhat lacking in this match. Yeah, and I don't know like how critical you can be of like a near five star match, <laughs> but. I just do know, and you know what? I will say this too on record. I do think that their Budokan Hall, the first Budokan Hall match at the Peter Pan and DDT, I do think it's a better match than this one. Hmm. And I do know, like you said, they are capable of more because these guys are such artists. Yes, and so creative. And so creative that I'm like, I felt like they could have done more. And I, to me, I don't think it's a criticism where I'm saying like, oh, they didn't deliver. I think they did the match they wanted to do. But I think that the part of the story is that they were holding back. Dude, imagine if they went 20 more minutes. I feel like they're holding back. I, I really do. As crazy as that sounds, as much as they were trying to kill each other, it did feel to a degree like they're holding back and saving a lot of stuff for when that for when the big match comes. I don't think yeah. this is the big match for them. Dude, imagine if they had 20 more minutes. The one thought I had throughout the whole match is we got to get this again. Yes. We got to get this again because it's, it's so phenomenal. Like, I want it tomorrow. Like <laughs> more more so than any match that we saw in the G one, this is the match I want to see again. Yeah, maybe uh, MSG. We'll we'll talk more <laughs> about that. Um, but let's let's do we're going to do an official review of the G one climax finals. Traditionally speaking, one of the biggest uh, shows of the entire year. It's right up there with your Dominions, right up there with your King of Pro Wrestling's and Sakura Genesis. And, um, you know, we, we actually got to watch the, that here with Richard. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it was a great show. Great show. So, yeah, so this was night 19, the final night of the tournament. Uh, show started off with a uh, multi-man match with uh, Honma, Togi Makabe, and Michael Elgin taking on uh, Yuji Nagata, uh, Shota Umino, and Ayuta Yoshida from K-Dojo. Yeah, and Yoshida's actually a guy that we have been pretty impressed with in the past. We've seen him sev- on several of these Lionsgate shows recently. Uh, he actually, his last two opponents on those shows were Yuji Nagata and Shota Umino. Right. Which, oh, speaking of Nagata, did you notice that he doesn't have the uh, All Japan tag team titles? I missed that. He dropped them on the last show. Gotcha. So. Um, but yeah, but Yoshida's a guy that we, I was not expecting to see him. Uh, maybe I should have if I would have done my homework and seen what the card was, but I didn't know going into the night what the card would, was yeah, going to be. Yeah, I didn't look at the whole card before it started, yeah. Um, also, great to see Hanma back. Uh, you know, this was the second tag match he had on this tour. He also wrestled, what, uh, was it the B-Block night finals? before the, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we kind of talked. I think we were the main thing with this match was we were kind of hypothesizing like, is it going to be Yoshida? Or is it going to be Umino who takes the right. loss here? I, I thought it was going to be uh, Umino just because he's a young boy, 
But Yoshida is the outsider, and he did lose to Umino on the um, Young uh, Lionsgate um, one of the Lionsgate shows. How about Umino's uh, physique, <clears throat> dude? Umino is looking vascular. Man. He's looking jacked up. Huge. So yes, I mean, um, I I would imagine Umino's. Maybe in the next, maybe not quite right now, but in the near future, I wouldn't be too surprised if in the next six months he does go on excursion. Yeah, um, Yoshida isn't necessarily a dojo guy, but it is very telling that they that they're featuring featuring him on the undercard of you know this show. Yeah, um, yeah, really, really good. Good to see Hama in there, man. Um, I'm I'm a little scared when I watch Hama wrestle. Yeah, man. I mean, he still looks like a little like. Hesitant, hesitant, a little wobbly when he's in there. Obviously, uh, his physique, you know, has you know, there's some muscle entropy, things like that. Yeah. Um, I think it was great to see him have these two amazing moments in, uh, you know, in the Budokan, and uh, you know, he was crying after the first night's match, which was really, really special. Yeah. But um, oh yeah, and how about uh, Okada being such a douche? To him? Yeah, dude, Okada was like. He attended the draping DDT spot. Ugh. He was doing the Kokeshi headbutt to him, just being a like dick. But this match was what you know. There's nothing special about it. It was just a quick little opener. It was great to see you know Hama and Yoshida in there. You know, um, basically Makabe hit hit a lariat on Yoshida, and then King Kong knee drop for the win. Boom! Yeah. So then, following that match, we had uh, Bad Luck Fale against Toa Hanare. The match you didn't know was <laughs> happening, and the match you didn't ask for, but you got it anyways. Yeah. Bad luck, Folly. Remember, this reminds me of that night uh, during the tag league finals when he, he went against Bushi. Yeah, they just they're like Folly and Bushi, and I'm like, what? Why? And then they're like Folly and Hanari. Hanari, you lost the C block. Congratulations, you get to wrestle <laughs> Folly. Yes, the uh, C block runner up to Hanari. Yeah, Hanari got killed in one minute fifty five seconds. So yeah, grenade, <laughs> grenade, bad luck, fall. Maybe, yeah. maybe this was a way for them to do a little bit of damage control for how terrible the tournament fall they had. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, that really just shows us where Hanare is. And, and, and um, you know, and there's, there's some backstory for this match. You know, Hanare is a student of Bad Luck Fale in the uh, New Zealand dojo. And they always tell a story about how Hanare, like, ran up on Bad Luck Fale the first day and, like, tried to, like, take him out. And Fale pretty much did the same thing he did here kind of like put him in his place so yeah yeah very similar to that whole thing um that takes us to the next match of the night Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi taking on Isaka and Taichi so good news uh Taichi and Miho Abe are back bad, <laughs> bad news Isaka's back oh I was so glad to see Miho Abe yes I'm not even gonna lie like once the music came on I was like Miho Abe <laughs> I was like <laughs> and then and then I saw her come out and I was like, oh my god, finally! And and th- these people want to say there's no women in New Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh the, the, man. The next time one of the Fed Defense Squad members, uh, you know, puts a tweet out there and it's like, why aren't there women in, in New Japan? I'm gonna just be like, Miho Abe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this she's, met, she's a great manager. She's a fantastic manager. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> She'll get in there. She'll get. She'll, she'll she'll do what she needs to do. She'll stomp Taguchi in his testicles. Like <laughs> she's great. Um, so yeah. So um, Goto and Yoshihashi against Isaka and Taichi. This wasn't really necessarily a match that I was super excited about, especially since uh, is 
Izuka's in it, you know? Yeah. Um, with that being said, um, Taichi ended up basically hitting the powerbomb and the cradle on Yoshihashi. Yeah. And so the commentary was telling the story of Taichi not getting his one-on-one match for uh, against Goto for the Never title. So it looks like uh, they're bringing that back up, building that story again. Tai Chi looks like he's going to get a never title shot sometime soon. Kind of interesting that he so decisively beat Yoshihashi when, you know, Tai Chi felt like the guy that kind of got cut out of the G1 this right. year. Right, and they were playing that up in commentary, too. That was kind of the big thing. Everybody was saying, like, Tai Chi should have been in instead of Yoshihashi. Right. So it's kind of like they were listening to that and having Tai Chi, like, destroy Yoshihashi. Not only that, but if you've watched any of the interviews, Tai Chi's been talking about conspiracy against him, talking about Harold Mai. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's been talking about how he's going to make them pay for leaving him out of the G1. So it is kind of nice that they're finding something for him to do going forward. I will say this. I thought that I didn't like the idea of Goto doing the triple threat against Elgin and Yoshihashi. You mean Elgin and Taichi? I'm sorry, Elgin and Taichi. Um, with that being said, obviously the match delivered. So, I mean, you can't criticize too much. But my problem with it was that you went from – my idea was like, okay, if you want to do this, you do Elgin – or Taichi, and then the, and then the next month you you right. do the next one. Right. Instead, we got a triple threat scenario, and title then, change, and then a title change, and then a t- another title change, and then now we're getting another defense out of it. And it's like the, the, they like to do these sometimes in New Japan these weird triangle scenarios with guys and teams. And I just I'm not a big fan of that booking. I'd rather you know if Goto's going to defend the title, put him in a program with this guy, and then put him in a program with that guy. I know. You know, sometimes, like, say for Dominion, they got to get multiple guys on the card, and I get it. But I would much rather go to be involved in meaningful feuds against, you know, individual guys, especially New Japan. And yeah. so we're right back to where I thought we should have been in the first place months later, basically. Yeah, so post-match, Taichi attacked Goto with the mic stand. And so, obviously, we're planting the seeds for that Never Title match, maybe on one of the Destruction shows. Taichi picked up the Never Title and threw it like he was Goto <laughs> circa 2016. Yeah. Um, the next match was uh, Hangman Page and Cody taking on um, Juice Robinson and Dave Finley. Finn Juice. And um, Bull Club team got the win here with um, Cody hits his uh, Din's Fire, which is his name for the Vertebraker, on Juice Robinson. Yeah. Um, So Juice losing to another guy, and post-match, Cody grabbed the mic and declared himself the next challenger for the U.S. Championship. Yeah, I would say up to this point, everything else in the undercard so far had been pretty underwhelming. To be honest, this match wasn't uh, anything special, but uh, it it was pretty entertaining. I would I would say it's a mid mid you know three star match essentially. So yeah. it was pretty entertaining. Uh, I mean, you had a lot of really talented guys in there, and then um, you know them setting up the idea of Cody and Juice Robinson for a future title shot was really 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 interesting because I didn't exactly see them going that way. Yeah, especially since Juice has lost so many times in the G one. He has plenty of challengers. To- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was kind of interesting because you thought that maybe his next title offense would be set up essentially by one of his losses in the G in the G1. But you're kind of thinking, like, which of these guys is getting the shot? Because First, yeah. he lost to so many guys. And then Cody shows up. Cody cut this uh, promo basically saying, you know, the only thing that you've esta- you've done, you know, is... <laughs> it's a bad impression of Kyrie Sane. Yeah, and he was like, if I have to hear one more person talking about how improved... You know, Juice Robinson is. I'm gonna vomit. And <laughs> like, I'm like, man, Cody, for like a baby, you know, white meat baby face. You're kind of pretty heelish promo here, you know. <laughs> but um, 
essentially he he's coming for the uh, the U.S. title. Do you think that he'll be the NWA champion by the time he goes for this uh, title? It's possible. That's a very that's a little wrinkle. I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, but you know, September first is right around the corner. I think you know by the time that happens. You know, they'll probably be wrestling King of Pro Wrestling. That's a little ways down the road. I think it's going to happen at uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Oh, that's right. No, he did. He challenged him for... That's in September. Yeah. So it's just a few weeks removed from All In. Yeah. I wonder how that's going to play into the whole Aldis Cody Rhodes thing. Yeah. You think he'll be the NWA champion challenging the U.S. champion? It's, dude, who knows at this point? Huh. It's interesting. Huh. Very, very, very interesting. Um... But that also, almost makes but me I'm, feel like maybe he's not going to win the belt. But I'm wondering if they're going to do like multiple juice defense. Like I wonder if he's going to defend on the Destruction Tour also. Oh, what? Like every night he has to defend the belt? Not every night, <laughs> but like defense on the Destruction Tour, defense Fighting Spirit Unleashed, defense of King of Pro Wrestling. I could just see it now that they set up a six match, you know, defense challenge for him, and then he loses it the first night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, That's the kind of booking they've been doing with this guy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So Cody, you know, back in New Japan, you know, after being away for a while, and so yes, we we have a U.S. title shot coming up. Um, that brings us to the next match, which was a um, six-man tag between the supervillains Young Bucks and Marty Skrull, taking on the OG Bullet Club, the Grills of Destiny, and the returning. Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. Yes. So, I mean, we are pretty much already assumed this after the firing squad angle that Ishimori would be on their side since Tama brought him in. So, yep, it's confirmed. Ishimori is part of the BCOGs. And originally, this was a non-title match, but, uh, you know, Tangaloa grabbed the mic in the beginning and um, told them they should put the belts up on the line. And, and then we got that great Harold Mai, uh, you know, interaction again, yeah. which we're all just such big fans of. You know, <laughs> we, we, we really love that. So, yeah. uh, but they they appealed to him, and he basically just waved his hands of it. He seemed super frustrated. Like, okay, whatever right. you guys want to do. All right, like you're the champions. You want to do this? Like fine. And another great thing was it was so good to see two really great established heavyweight tag teams and a junior on each team. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you got the big bucks there. And, I mean, these guys are body guys. I mean, Dude, they're, they're jacked. They're, they're just, huge. They're just so they're so over. They're just so huge. And then, you know, little Marty with them, they, they just tower over him. It's crazy. Yeah, man. I don't, I mean, man, I don't even. He needs to eat more donuts. He's got to do something. Yeah. No, yeah, it's pretty comical to see that they call the Young Bucks these heavyweights. They're, <laughs> they're the same size as Marty Skrull. I mean, Taiji Ishimori, yeah, he's smaller than all of them, but he's one of the smallest juniors out there. So, I mean, but, uh, you know, six great guys. Um, this actually was – bell to bell was fine. Um, this was a little bit better than the last tag match. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was tons of energy from both guys. I mean, a lot of great spots. But in the end, it was um, – the Girls of Destiny and Taiji Ishimori getting the win here. And we got new Never Trios champions. Yeah, I mean, I think the main part of the story was that they kept doing, like, distractions and, uh, you know, like, kind of making, you know, like, sleight of hand stuff. Because essentially, they did a blind tag 
where the the Bucks and Marty they weren't aware of who the right. little man thought, even was. They thought that uh, Taiji was still a lethal man. Right. So they were they were trying really hard to hit that Meltzer driver. They didn't realize at that point that Tamatanga was the legal man. He ended up hitting uh, one of the worst looking gun stuns that I've ever seen him hit, which was kind of unfortunate because I, I I am a big fan of the gun stun. Yeah, I like the gun stun too. I and mean, I was like, why did he hit it so bad? But. Um, yeah, they picked up the Never titles. You know, these titles hadn't been defended a single time since the Supervillains won it. They actually won it from the Gorillas of Destiny and Fale, which I think most people probably would have even forgot that that even right, happened. Yeah. It was months and months ago. I mean, these are titles that haven't been defended in a long time, and I wouldn't even care if they went away at this point, honestly. Yeah. They, they hold so little value. Well, I mean, they won the belts and threw them right down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They pulled a they pulled a uh, they pulled a Taichi pulling a Naito, <laughs> and they just left the titles there. They yeah. you know which just kind of I mean yeah it plays into their character. So I'm not gonna sit here and be like they shouldn't have done that. But I mean I don't know. That's a lot of belt throwing for one night. And yeah. if you notice the two, the two titles that got thrown were both never titles. Yeah, kind of mm-hmm. kind of tells you something. Yeah. So then after the match, we had the crazy announcement, Josh, that there's going to be a show on January 4th in the Tokyo Dome. Really? Called Wrestle Kingdom. Did you know January 4th that there would be a show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could play along with you and try, try to do a bit, but yes, I was, I was very much aware that Tokyo Dome, you know, yeah. January 4th, that we're getting a New Japan show called Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yes, yes. And uh, you know what? Let's talk about this for just a second. The, the logo, uh, very reminiscent of some of the earliest uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh like logos, Fonts, yeah, which was very interesting. But if you notice, they had a golden, golden star. Golden star. Golden <laughs> star. Uh, I don't know if there's any significance to that, but I thought it was very interesting that they had one golden star. I think it was almost like a red herring, like, and you know, the light blue and the white, and it was like, did they plan for this entire logo to look like Ibushi's colors and his logo? Because it kind of does. So I don't know if that's going to play anything, but. Uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, what month are we in? August? Yep. I'm doing some math. September, October, November, December, January. If five months from now, Abushi's somehow, like, in the main event or something like that, you heard it here first. <laughs> we, we, we picked up on this. Mark this date. Nothing gets past keeping it strong style. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, anyways, um, that's going to take us to the next match of the night. Uh, eight-man tag. You had LIJ, Naito, Evil, Sonata, and Bushi taking on one of my favorite team-ups of one of my favorite combinations of Suzuki Goon and Minoru Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., Yoshinabu Kanemaru, and El Desperado being seconded by Taka Minchinoku. That's right. Uh, Taka still made let us know it was Zack Sabre time. You know, if you want my honest opinion, yes, I understand that uh, Taichi is like an integral part of Suzuki Goon, so you really can't cut him. But with him kind of like branching off and kind of becoming like a singles guy, and especially the fact that, like, even though I like him, I don't like him as much as anyone else on this team. Maybe I don't really like Hanamaru that much, but yeah. still, um, this would be like one of my. This is one of my favorite mashups of Suzuki Goon, and you can kind of cut out the fluff, like just take Killer Elite Squad away, take yes, Izuka uh, away, and you got the meat and potatoes team here, yeah. which is nice. So yeah, I mean, this was another you know good matchup. These teams usually have. You know, good matches, good chemistry. Obviously, Suzuki Goon, a lot of chaos, a lot of brawling on the outside. And um, 
kind of came down to um, Sonata getting the skull end on Kanemaru, tapped him out. Post-match, you know, uh, Suzuki is still stretching Naito. And like we mentioned earlier, it looks like we're continuing this kind of rivalry with L.I.J. and Suzuki-Goon and Naito uh, against uh, Suzuki and Sabre. Possibly getting another Naito Saber match. I know in the post-match comments, um, he was kind of like bl- trying to blow off Suzuki and wanted a match with Saber. So, yeah, and maybe I don't know if that will cause any sort of like inner turmoil. I mean, they haven't teased it yet, but I'm wondering like, you know, it's Suzuki Goon, and then the match starts, and you got Taka. Welcome to Zack. <laughs> Saber time. And I'm wondering how long something like that can go on when you've got a, a guy streaking like Sonata. Or I'm sorry, like uh, Zack Saber. Where how long is Suzuki going to sit back and kind of let this dude have that spotlight and kind of. Well, what if that's Suzuki's plan for Saber to take over? He's getting him ready. Maybe. Um, I don't know if that's the way they would go. I would like. Saber Goon. What if at some point, like, Zack Sabre kicks him out? Because, I mean, you know, that's what happened. This used to be Kojima Goon back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And they kind of ousted him. And, I mean, there's a trend in New Japan, just historically speaking, every so so many years there's a cycle. And, you know, these heel factions, there's an overturn and maybe a new faction forms or maybe someone else takes over. And, I mean, how much longer can't would Suzuki run this thing, you know? You're right. Um, I, I think it's interesting that Naito is almost sort of, like, talking about wanting to get past... Suzuki and treating like Zack Sabre like he's the real, you know, challenge. Right. Well, Naito, he lost him twice now. And he beat Suzuki earlier in the year pretty right. definitively. So that's a very interesting thing. I don't know where they're going with this. I think it's uh, too soon to, like, make any predictions. But it's very interesting, you know, kind of the inner workings that are going on there with that. I don't – I mean, I, later on, I'm sure down the road we'll talk about Wrestle Kingdom and – or I'm sorry, uh, King of Pro Wrestling. But I'm sure that this is setting something up for that time, I would yeah. assume. So next up we had Rey Mysterio Kushida and making his New Japan debut pro wrestler Sengoku no. Mai going against Sho Yo and Okada. No, no, no. It was Kenny Omega, Chase Owens, and Yujiro taking on Toriano, Jay White, and Oh, yep. T- skip, I skip that one. Yeah, so we got the team up of Omega, Owens, and Yujiro. Uh, you know, Bull Club Elite taking on Toriano, Jay White, and Tomohiro Ishii, which is a very interesting, you know, chaos mismatch, you know, mishup, mashup, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, it was all right, you know, just a lighthearted match. Uh, it was kind of good to see Kenny get a and you know Ishii kind of get a night off. You know, yeah, they needed it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of this match was to to officially set up Ishii's uh, challenge to Omega. So their team got the win. Um, Ishii hit the brain buster. Uh, get the pinfall on Chase Owens, pick the belt up after the match, tell Kenny I want the smoke. When yep. We, when we doing this thing? Yep. I want I want this belt. Yep. <laughs> and you know, uh, Owens continued to just deliver on such a high level. Um, you know, I joke about that, but I mean, he really, in a way, a lot of times on a night like this where everyone else is banged up, everyone else is hurt, taking it easy. He's like he's working his tail off because. That's his role, and he understands his role in the company, and he's just, like, he's a gem of... He's just this gem in these matches. Like, you know, they call him the... the what is he? He's the, the... The crown jewel. The crown jewel. He really is the crown jewel, of, like, when it comes to these undercard tag team matches. He really is. So, uh, love to see him in there, and, yeah, he, he did the job. He took the brain buster, and, yeah, I'm very excited for Kenny Omega and, uh, and Ishii. Ishii. That's going to be great. 
So now we have the six man with uh, Rey Mysterio Jr., Kushida, pro wrestler Sengoku, Sengoku Mai making his New Japan debut against Rapungi 3K and Okada. Yeah, so this was very interesting. Um, Zen- Sengoku Mai is Taguchi. We'll just let's just put it what? out there. Oh my god! No, bro. He he looked a lot like Taguchi. <laughs> they had a lot of sim- they had the hip attack offense, but I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not buying it. Or maybe not. he kind of looked like Masked Horse a little bit. Yeah, looked a little bit of Masked Horse, a little bit Taguchi. <laughs> uh, Interesting influences. Right? I liked Kushida coming at coming down to the hoverboard. Yes, that was cool. Um, you know, six really, really, really talented guys in there. We got Rey Mysterio making his return to Japan, which. This may or may not, just depending on if he goes back to WWE and when that actually happens. This very well could hype, you know, it most likely is his final match in New Japan. Yeah. Um, you know, this this match was good. It was good. Everything, everything, nothing really stood out on this undercard, if we're just going to be completely honest. And yeah. even here, this didn't really stand out. Um, but it was great to see Mysterio interact with Rapongi 3K. Um, and then him and Okada, man, that's... Oh, that, dude, their sequences. Off. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Even just the face-off when they started. Like, just, I kind of got chills and I was like, ooh, this is one of the best face-offs of the year, like, yeah. by far. Um, you know, going chest to face. <laughs> um... But yeah, essentially, you know, Ray came in. Um, you know, Ray did his thing. Kushida did his thing. You know, Ray Ray comes in and he goes through his usual spots, and mm-hmm. he's looking great doing it. So I'm not criticizing him, but you know, it's it's a six man tag. We haven't gotten a singles match out of him since he's started, right. you know, making these appearances. And uh, there was a spot here with Okada cut off the six one nine, and the crowd did not like that. I loved it when he hit him with the uh, the drop kick. The drop kick. The I was crowd like, was like, boo, boo, this man. <laughs> well, you know, for like Japanese crowds, I mean. You know, it's Rey Mysterio, and they haven't. He's. It's kind of like Jericho. Like he never comes to Japan, so it's a big deal for them. Yeah. Um. But I mean, he. What he still ended up hitting the six one nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he sent uh, yo. Uh, yo. Yeah. Yo. Michaels into the ropes and springboard splash. Yeah. Six one nine. Drop the dime. Yeah. Mysterio, Kushida, and uh, there was a lot of botches in this match. Do you remember? There's a lot of like timing issues and kind of like slips and mishaps, things like that. But yeah. Overall. Good fun match. Uh, Ray and Okada is kind of the the highlight, I would say, of the entire thing. Yeah, fun match. But um, now I want Ray and Okada. Yeah, I really, really, really want Ray and Okada. <laughs> and uh, that brings us to the main event. Yes, your IW or excuse me, your NJPW G One Climax Twenty Eight Final. Hiroshi Tanahashi, the Ace, the Man of Talent. Against the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. And both these men had seconds. I think we all expected uh, Kenny Omega to second his tag partner, Kota Ibushi. But the ace had a second as well. Yeah. Shibata. Yeah, that was so so awesome. It was so awesome to see Shibata. You know, anytime he's out there, that's it's just great. Plus, given the the tumultuous history between him and Hiroshi Tanahashi, um, and how that kind of plays into him being the second, I thought that that was great. Um, just so fascinating to see Tanahashi come in, the former champion, two-time G1 winner. You know the the you know the fading ace, and he's looking for one more ride. You know, 
in the sun and then taking on a you know the person that he defeated last year to retain his IC title and this is a rematch of the, the match that they had last year during the G1 uh, climax where Ibushi defeated him by um, debuting the Kamigoye knee strike yep so there, there's been a backstory between these two guys, and you know everyone kind of knows that Ibushi idolizes Tanahashi as a wrestling god, and he wanted to basically prove to him on this night that he was able to, you know, that he's the best and that he's able to take the ace out. Yeah, and also, I mean, a big part of their story, uh, <clears throat> Tanahashi kind of sees Kota Ibushi as a guy that could be the face of New Japan mm-hmm. and take his spot. But uh, Kota Ibushi doesn't want to sign a contract. He's a freelancer and kind of likes doing his own thing. He doesn't want to train under anybody because then he thinks that you'll become like that person and your moves become predictable. I think we had a question regarding that. Um, about Ibushi. From Jordan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ibushi, or Jordan said, well, let's talk about the match first and then we'll get into uh, Jordan's question. Okay. So, I mean, this crowd was freaking going nuts before these guys even touched. I mean, this was one of the hottest crowds of the entire tour. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this crowd was fire. They were uh, definitely anticipating the epic match that they were about to see in front of their eyes. And an epic match it was. Absolutely. That's the perfect way to describe this match. Which, given how many wars we saw and different things like that, there was very few epic encounters like this match. And it, it that's exactly what I've been waiting for all all year from from one of these G1 matches and we finally got it here in Ibushi and Tanahashi. Yeah, man. And this this match was just amazing. And man, I just I don't even know like where to start. I mean, both of these guys just gave everything they had. I mean, the striking, the moves, the I like I don't even know. Well, you know the the, the interesting thing about it was they started off slow. They started off wrestling, and it seemed like while they were doing that, Tanahashi was getting the better of Ibushi when it came to the straight wrestling. Um, But eventually, Ibushi basically started kind of turning it around and started going into the strikes. Um, And then Tanahashi kind of started playing Ibushi's game a bit with the strikes. Right. And started trying to kind of show him, like, I can I can play your game, and not only that, but I can outdo you in your game. And he started hitting Ibushi with some of the nastiest strikes that you'll ever see. And when he does, when he did that, and we've seen this time and time again with Ibushi, when when he gets hit, he goes to that next level. Like he's yeah. like like Ken Jamrock, like, <laughs> he's in the zone. But yeah, uh, he like goes into like another place. He's like almost like transforms. Like he becomes almost a little heelish. Yeah, and like really, really aggressive. A different attitude. A different. Yeah. Uh, an entirely different. It's uh, almost kind of like when Goku like goes Super Saiyan. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like he's like when he's normal, he's just like kind of like a little playful. But he goes Super Saiyan. It's like a whole like new Goku, like a whole new Kota Ibushi. Like and once that happened, once he kind of woke Ibushi up in the midpoint of the match and with the strikes, Ibushi just started. Killing Tanahashi. I mean, killing him. Yes. Um, the, the the striking exchanges between these guys were some of the best striking exchanges that you will see out of New Japan. I mean, this was so definitive of Japanese strong style pro wrestling. I mean, yeah. so incredible. I and mean, I, I mean, you got Tanahashi, man. He was just eating those strikes when he was yeah. coming back and firing up. 
Ibushi's laying in these palm strikes and Tanahashi's just eating them and walking forward, eating them, walking forward and pushes Ibushi back into the corner. How about when uh, Ibushi hit a double stomp on the apron to Tanahashi? Oh my gosh, yes, he caught him and boom, that double stomp. Yeah. He also hit that the moonsault, the, the standing moonsault knees here also. A, l- a little bit safer than the one he hit on Omega, but still yes. devastating. Yeah, um, then at that, that point where you're talking about where they were, they were trading strikes and then uh, Tanahashi just started eating the strikes and eating them and it looked like he was fading and then all of a sudden like when he powered up and he was just like <laughs> he was just shaking bro yes. and he just started coming through and he was just screaming at, at uh, Ibushi, like, Ibushi. Come on. and Ibushi's just like striking him with everything he's got and like Tanahashi's just walking through the strikes and then he starts striking him back I was like dude you can talk about you know, the best high flyer there is. You could talk about the best submission wrestler, the best technical wrestler that's out there, the most hardcore guy, all these different things. But when when it really comes down to it, what makes pro wrestling great is guys that can make you care emotionally about what is happening. And for my money, maybe the greatest of all time when it comes to making you care emotionally is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Preach. Preach. <laughs> because, bro, like, I I started getting, like, kind of, like, a little teary-eyed, bro. When, when he, like, I got goosebumps when he started, like, powering up and he started walking through the strikes. I was like, bro, I, I was like, I was like, come on, Tanahashi. Don't quit. Don't quit. Like, I felt like I was Oka, you know? Yes. Like, bro, if Oka wasn't on an excursion, that man would have been losing his crap. Yes. Bro. Like, and I was just like, come on, Tanahashi. Like, you got to do this. You got to do it for us. Do it for us. Yes. Us. Us. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, freaking Abushi just had this look on his face like, what is happening? Like, yes. he didn't even know what was happening. And he's throwing everything he can, and Tanahashi's walking through it. And then when eventually, like, he started to gas, and Tanahashi dropped him, I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. Like, yes. this, is, this is pro wrestling. Dude, the Bomaye knee that Ibushi hit to the back of Tanahashi's head. I forgot about that. Yes, this whole, oh. this whole tour, Ibushi's been hitting uh, Bomaye's in his matches. Call back to his rivalry of Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh my gosh, but dude, he hit he hit two Bomaye's, but there was a second one where he hit it was like directly in the back of Tana's head. We saw oh so much, gosh. man. Uh, Tanahashi hit a high flag, you know, flow to the outside. To the outside. Dude, the lawn dart. Oh my the god, bo- that, that lawn dart that made bo- me cringe. The last Ibushi Tanahashi match, the lawn dart actually injured uh, ta- or was it the first one? It was the first, first one. First one in the G1. And when he threw him this time, like, you kind of, when you do that, you want to have them hit in that center spot between the top and second rope where it, there's some give. Tanahashi's head hit right where the turnbuckle is, right where it's like, bang, bam, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh my god. There was another point, too, where, um, Freaking uh, Tanahashi got tossed into the ropes like a, like an Irish whip, and it looked like it was going to be her karana. He turned it into a sling blade. I marked out for that. Um, then towards the end of the match, when Abushi Abushi just started killing Tanahashi, yes, dropping him on his head, doing like some like crazy crazy moves, like um, different different like snap dragons, you know, um, a. Tanahashi was also going for dragon suplexes and straight jacket Germans. Like, these guys were just going to war, man. Yeah, and 
I mean, coming down to the end of it, uh, Bushi hit the last ride for a near fall. That used to be one of his finishers, but mm-hmm. Tanahashi kicks out. Abushi goes for a Kamagoye. Tanahashi counters out, and Abushi hits uh, straight jacket German for a near fall. Yeah, but he hangs onto the arms. Uh, I I was so nervous when that happened because I saw he he maintained the wrist control and I was like oh my god he's gonna hit the kamagoye yeah so he hangs on to the wrist um, he looks to go for the kamagoye but uh, Tanakashi counters and hits a twist and shout he hits three twist and shouts that's when I that's when I knew I was like and I was just like I was like oh my god <laughs> twist and shout out. <laughs> So, uh, Abushi escapes, he lays in strikes, Tanahashi hits a dragon suplex, um, my notes just refreshed. <laughs> yeah, he hit him for with the dragon suplex for the near fall, and then, uh, Tanahashi goes up top, high fly flow, he hit, he goes up, hits him with a high fly flow cross body, and then he goes up again, hits him with a final, like, proper high fly flow, and gets the one, two, Three, you see Shibata going crazy. You see Omega looking dejected. Abushi uh, just prone on the ground, and the Ace rides again. Yes, the Ace takes his throne. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, when I started having this theory that I thought that that Tanahashi was going to win this thing, the first person I told was uh, Rich Latta. And if you guys haven't heard, Rich has this incredible. Um, rant that he did on Alexa Bliss and it's gotten a lot of play on the internet and I was like bro if Tanahashi wins the G1 you gotta do one of those rants again yes and like he was like I don't I don't know if he's gonna win I'm like bro he's winning this thing <laughs> and this is like two or three weeks ago like when I started seeing it unfold and I'm like bro Tanahashi and I started explaining him why I thought Tanahashi's gonna win and he was like all right, if he wins, I'm doing one of those rants. <laughs> and uh, he, he just shot us a message. He said he's recording the rant right now. That's where we're recording the show. So we should have it to put at the end of this show. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, like, oh, my God. That's breaking news. Yes. Yo, that's going to be amazing. So, yes, hopefully stay tuned to the very end of this show. Uh, Rich should have that rant to me in time. And I promise you it's going to be epic. I'm, I'm telling you guys, so... You know, some of my thoughts on this match, like, Ibushi obviously is just such a special performer, and... Oh, I just got the email. <laughs> I got the rant. Listen to the end of the show. We're going to play this Tanahashi rant at the end of the show. You got to listen to this thing. You know, Abushi, like I was saying, he's a special performer, and we know that there's very few guys that are in his class when it comes to pro wrestling, but at age 41, bro, Hiroshi Tanahashi looks like still just one of the all-time greats like yes he's beaten down yes his body has wear and tear on it yeah he took it easy during the g1 but bro when it came time to deliver the goods um nobody like there is almost nobody that can do what hiroshi tanahashi does there are definitely guys who can do more than him in the ring at this point and you know who are more impressive when it comes to in-ring action but when it comes to this aspect this special moment Dude, like, almost nobody can do what Hiroshi Tanahashi does, and that that's make us care. Yeah. Very few guys can make you care like this. Only the true greats really can make you care like this. You're talking about your Ric Flairs. You're talking about your Bret Hart's. Shawn Michaels. Your Shawn Michaels. You know, you're talking about, like, your Jumbos. You're talking about Mizawa. You're talking about freaking, you know, um, Kobashi. Got, like, guys like that, man, who are in the upper echelon. And, I mean... This, this bro, I, 
I'm not even gonna lie. Like I was teary eyed, bro. I was teary eyed. This might, for me, might be one of the most emotional Tanahashi wins that I've ever seen. I've been watching him for years. Yeah. Man, this is great stuff. And uh, we have a lot of questions concerning Tanahashi. One from Rich. He was like, when will people learn to never doubt the ace? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they got to learn, man. Uh, question from Simon Cotton. He said, what are your thoughts on the comparisons between uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and John Cena following Tanahashi's victory? Well, to, to address Rich's question, I think that people... Uh, well, one thing, too, we have to really acknowledge, we have a lot of new fans. We got a lot of new fans in the last couple of years who don't understand or know about the greatness that is Tanahashi. Right. They know of, they know of him as being, like, one of those guys, you know, and they, t- like, he's talked about, but... They don't know, like, he literally saved the company. They haven't seen him in his prime, you know what I mean? Right. They haven't seen all the Okada matches. They haven't seen, you know, the, the matches with AJ Styles and the stuff he did with Muda and the stuff that he ran, did. Ran Brock Lesnar out in territory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Nakamura series. Like, they haven't seen this stuff. And so for a lot of New Time fans, it, it would the emotional attachment kind of maybe isn't there. So that, that's one reason. Um, I think another reason is because his body has been breaking down for so long. Yeah, torn bicep, injured knee, hurt back, hurt neck. And plus, he, he's 41. But when it comes to Tokyo Dome time and G1 time, the ace is there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there might have been a misstep with the Jay White match at, at, at Wrestle Kingdom this past year, but that's like an anomaly. It's not what you regularly get from from Hiroshi Tanahashi and his entire uh, IC title run last year leading up into that was incredible you know all his title defenses were were freaking incredible his G1 last year was awesome Um, maybe even arguably better than this year's G1 if if you're being you know if you're just going match quality wise but yeah people people are going to keep doubting because of his age and his his, uh, health I think people are just going to keep doubting Tanahashi until he's got that gold strap or until his body breaks down. One of the, whichever comes first. Right. So now this uh, Simon's question about um, people comparing Tanahashi and John Cena. Um, that comparison has been you're, drawn. You're going to have to give me some background on that because I don't understand even what, what, what that means. What what are people saying out there? I'm not on Twitter. So, I mean, pretty much people are trying to compare this to like John Cena, like winning the Rumble. What was that? Like 2013, almost like. Cena's in his 40s. He's kind of the established guy. And, like, people kind of see Cena going on, like, a down... Like, on kind of, like, descending. And so him, like, winning, like, a big match. I mean, they're both similar age. Almost similar, like, star power for their brands. So a lot of, a lot of people, even before this, a lot of people kind of, like, compare, like, Cena and Tanahashi um, with each other. And so people are kind of saying, like, you know... Like, the Fed defense squad would be like, you know, oh... You know, if Cena won a big match, you guys wouldn't like it, but you like it when Tanahashi's winning something big. And, um, and then just people are just like, oh, they're very similar in age and I mean, I get that. Star power. I, I've always understood the John Cena, Hiroshi Tanahashi comparisons mm-hmm. as far as, like, being the main guy plus the way that Tanahashi was booked for so many years is so similar to, to John Cena's, mm-hmm. um, you know, booking. With that being said, there are people who are saying that if... Cena went over like this that it would not be received the way that that Tanahashi's G1 win this year was received. There are some people, you know, the the anti New Japan fans out there. 
I mean, well, I'll say a couple things. One, I do think that there are people who didn't necessarily want this to happen. I'm pretty sure there are New Japan fans. Some Naito fans are hot. <laughs> yeah, specifically Naito fans, which I think a lot of like Fairweather fans too, because Naito is so charismatic and things of that nature probably are – there's probably some overlap between WWE fans and Naito fans, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I would, I would think so. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there probably are people who didn't see this coming. I don't think hardly anybody saw this no. coming. Yeah. It's, it, it's not like a scenario that a lot of people saw playing out. Um, although when you start to sit back and think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. But that being said, man, here's my thing. Um, a, I'd be surprised that you – that someone who's criticizing this would talk bad about New Japan fans who are you know, um, praising this because – you don't watch this product. You know what I mean? If, if you don't watch this product, you have no ability in context to criticize this booking decision right. or the fans who are enjoying it because you don't watch this product. So you're talking from an ignorant point of view. I'm just sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. Mm. You're, 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 you're literally talking foolishness. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here and criticize something from WWE on, on this podcast like as far as – Unless obviously they have a lot of terrible booking decisions, but I'm not gonna. I wouldn't sit here if John Cena won and be like, "Oh well, you know, you guys don't like it when." But like that's stupid sounding yeah. because you don't know the context of it. The second thing is, I was watching WWE when that happened, and I think the biggest difference is that John Cena was almost universally loathed by a vast majority of wrestling fans because of the way that he'd been booked and because of the way that the company was going and because of the fact that he was pushed over guys that were much more universally loved. Right. How many people were booing when Tanahashi won the G1? Not one. <laughs> Not a single one. And you know what? The part of the reason for that is because you're comparing this guy to Cena when he's Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Get like I understand that you can draw a comparison between him being the top guy, but you also have to understand that if you if you didn't watch this product, then you need to understand that he is Shawn Michaels, he is Bret Hart, he is Ric Flair, he is John Cena, he's Hulk Hogan, all oh, wrapped in into one. one. Yeah. Okay. He is the most important guy, arguably speaking, in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling, outside of maybe Antonio Inoki. So especially for the Japanese fans who adore him. This is not this was never going to be received as a negative thing in any way. I mean, what do you got to say about it, Jeremy? I mean, yeah. I, this is the first time I'm even hearing about this. I think it's a ridiculous point of view. Like, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that's even what Simon was talking about. But I mean, that's, that's, oh, I'm not. I'm not talking about. No, Simon. I'm just saying. Like, I don't know if that's what he was even talking about. Or he was just talking about it in general. I right. Have, I have seen that stuff with Cena and Tanahashi, and I'm like, like I don't get it. Like. If you don't like New Japan, like, don't watch it. Don't talk about it. Don't don't force this comparison to try and, like, stay irrelevant with what everybody else is talking about. Right. The other thing, too, is, like, Tanahashi is a guy who's been on the back burner for, what, two years now? Mm-hmm. Three years now? Yeah, he got a towel shot this year, but it was, like, that story was the old man going for it one last time. Yeah. That's not what this was. And with that being said, it's like Tanahashi is one of those special performers where like Shawn Michaels, they, they, I find so many comparisons. Remember when Shawn would 
kind of take a back seat for a long time. And then when they're like, all right, we need you for our main event, giddy up, cowboy. And he'd mm. be like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then he could perform on the highest level. That's what Tanahashi does. Yeah. And the people are always ready for that. With John Cena, when with him back then, you, you're talking about a guy who was pushed for so many years and reviled by the crowd on such a level because – they were pushing for these other stars that were getting literally CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, different guys like that that were getting held back. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, we don't even know if Tanahashi's going to go to the Tokyo Dome. He could freaking lose this before the thing even happens. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's our next question from Reddit user DomHomie101. He said, with the G1 being over, what are the actual chances of Tana walking into the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13? Well... He just today announced that he, during a press conference, that he intends to defend the contract twice between now and then. And the two guys he plans to defend defend against are Jay White. And Okada. And Kazushika Okada. Wow. I don't think, I'm going to say it now, I don't think he's losing to either of them. However, it is totally feasible that he could possibly lose that title defense or that that title or opportunity briefcase briefcase i think to okada i could see that happening especially given the fact that we already talked about the history how long it's been since he beat him he would have to beat him definitively Mm -hmm. to go to to the tokyo dome i i don't know man i think i don't think it's likely i don't what i think is gonna happen i think Tanahashi is going to beat Okada, mm-hmm. and that's going to be like the final straw that like makes Okada leave chaos. Well, the other thing too we got to keep in consideration. I I think that it's very interesting that the two guys he's wrestling are Jay White and Okada back to back, and we talked about the whole thing with chaos and the internal struggle. So I think that he does beat both of them, but I think that that is probably the catalyst to a future match between them. Whether that I given the time frame, I don't think it'll be King of Pro Wrestling. But that could potentially lead to a match between the two of them at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because neither because I don't know how, how the inner workings will work, but I could just see both of them trying to beat Tanahashi and there being some sort of strife between them because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if Jay White does something to turn on Okada. All right. So uh, the next question comes from Jordan Fox. Um, and he says, if this was WWE... Coda would have went over and they would have done the passing of the torch, wouldn't you think? So my question is, how do you like how New Japan did this storyline of the old bull conquering one more time rather than the old bull pass, passing the torch? Uh, you know, that's a great question, Jordan. Oh, and you know what? Before we move on, I just want to say, because I went I went so hard on that John Cena question, that was in no way directed at Simon. Simon is my boy, and I don't think he was saying, like... You know what I'm saying? No, I, yeah, no, he wasn't saying that. But. I just don't want anything to be misconstrued. Like, right. Simon, you're an idiot. John <laughs> Cena sucks. Like, John Cena sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, you know, Jordan, I, this would be my response to that. I don't think that's the story that they were telling here whatsoever. Um, I think that maybe if this was WWE, that would probably be the story they would tell. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah. I mean, po- po- most probably. Well, depending on who it is, I mean. Depending on, yeah, because yeah. a lot of times if you're. We can't, we still haven't given, was, we, Roman can't get the torch yet. <laughs> yeah, and if it was Triple H, he'd probably always go over. <laughs> but with that being said, um, you know, this is, and I, Jeremy t- touched on it, and I think Kevin Kelly did a great job elaborating this on the commentary. This was not a, a fight between an old bull who's 
t- looking for one last shot at glory. Like this wasn't Choshu's run through the G1 in the 90s. Uh, you know, th- that's not what this was. Um, this was two different um, ideologies and philosophies when it comes to pro wrestling and the state of what pro wrestling is going to be in Japan going head to head. And it's not just a new match between them. It's a continuation of the matches they had last year during the G1 and mm-hmm. during uh was it King, King of wrestling? wrestling? Yeah. yeah. So on the one side, you have the traditionalist in Hiroshi Tanahashi. I mean, Dojo. Went to Dojo, Excursion. He's a, he's a company man. He's been signed all these years. He carried the company on his back. He didn't leave when other guys were out doing, you know, MMA and going off and going to other companies. He Multiple stayed, Wrestle Kingdom main events. He stayed when Shibata left. He stayed when Nakamura left. He literally, like, carried the entire company on his back, and he brought them from the ashes like a, like a rising phoenix because he's a company man. And he's dojo trained. You know what I mean? And so he's the traditionalist of all traditionalists. He represents presents the modern age of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, I think that the match between him and Okada from earlier in the year was the story of the old bull, yeah. The faded legend taking on the new school, which we and that's always been the story between those two guys. Yeah. But with Abushi, you've got you know, a guy that wasn't trained. He has no master, essentially. He wasn't trained by any specific legend. He didn't come through the dojo system. He's traveled all over the world. He's a freelancer. Right. I mean, DDT, WWE, Cruiserweight Classic. I mean, he's all over the place. All over the Ring of Honor. I mean, he's been all over Japan. I mean, he is a. He'll show up at you know at like a uh, what's it called like a kaiju big battle and he'll wrestle a building. Um, You know, he does (laughs) crazy stuff like that, and he has a different philosophy when it comes to wrestling. Like his version of it as as an art form has to do more with like. The, the expansiveness and wide openness of what wrestling can be. It's not just this one thing. Whereas Tanahashi is so tied into the roots and traditional ties of pro wrestling. He has ties to Inoki. He has ties to Fujinami. He has ties to the Three Musketeers. He represents that old guard in the modern sense. Whereas Ibushi has no ties to those guys. Ibushi is a guy who... It, like wrestling's like a performance art to him. You know what I mean? Right. And pro, pro wrestling can be so much more than what it's been in the past. And he won't sign with New Japan. He's not necess- He's an adoption. Like he's been adopted into the company. He's not. He's he wasn't bred and, and raised there. And you know his whole thing. And I think you mentioned that was like if you get trained by a particular wrestler. You'll move. And right. You'll start using their moves. I mean, we see like Sonata. He's using the Muto Moonsault. Right. You look at all these guys who get trained by certain guys, and they start using their moves. And Ibushi's a guy who's come through K1 Pro Wrestling, you know, or I'm sorry, K1 Kickboxing, <laughs> kickboxing yeah. and he's, he's, a, he's a professionally trained fighter. I mean, this his path to where he's gotten and his outlook on pro wrestling is so dichotomic. Like the dichotomy between him and Tanahashi is so vast, and at the same time he idolizes Tanahashi. Right. And at the and same Tanahashi's time, Tanahashi's just trying to show him the way, but he doesn't want to go Tanahashi's way. Right. Tanahashi believes that Abushi is the future of this company and the future of pro wrestling. He sees in Tanahashi, he sees in Abushi um, himself 
if he hadn't had the guidance that right. he got from He's, these legends. This whole thing has just been him trying to guide Abushi. It's just like that young kid that doesn't want to take the advice of somebody older. Right. Someone, their their, their parent or like a counselor or a teacher. Like, you don't want to take their advice. You want to kind of forge your own path. Abushi and Tanahashi are almost like kindred spirits that have had totally different experiences and paths mm-hmm. and they're trying to meet in the middle and that's where the conflict between them starts and ends and so that was kind of and the thing here was like Tanahashi I don't he didn't like he didn't work that match like the faded legend who couldn't keep up with the young nah. kid they they fought a war that man fought like he was 06 Tanahashi yep yep he fought like the the ace of old and um it, it was excellent. So, yeah, and you know what? I almost can guarantee you that at some point, I don't know if they ever go with Ibushi as the ace. Dude, as long as he doesn't sign a contract, they'll never go with him. They're probably not going to. But with that being said, there will be... Tanahashi, I think, cares about Ibushi so much that there will be a passing of the torch match at some point in time. But this night wasn't that night. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing, too, is like Ibushi and Omega doing an immediate rematch was never going to be the plan for for the G1 or for Wrestle uh, for Wrestle Kingdom. So the only outcome that this match could have had is Tanahashi going over given the business side of things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that was a great question. But, yeah, I don't think that was the story that they were telling here at all. Personally. Yeah, totally agree with you on that one. Um, I think that's all the questions we had about uh, Tanahashi. Uh, you want me to run through the rest of these questions real quick before we uh, do our grades? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So let me go back up to the top here. So Howard also wanted to know, um, after the respective G1s, what are the realistic Wrestle Kingdom expectations for Hangman Pagey <laughs> and uh, Switchblade Jay Waito? Well, um, I think obviously Hangman was phenomenal in this tournament. Yeah. Uh, really impressed with Hangman Page. Jay White's getting his character over. Um, honestly, like I could see Jay White like against Okada at the Dome. I think Jay White's gonna have some sort of showcase match now. Right, he's gonna. I think he'll he'll have a singles match. Hangman Page, I don't. Hangman Page, he'll probably be. He's not gonna have. He'll one. be in the six man gauntlet. He'll be in something. There, there are lots of guys who have had better years and taking nothing away from Hangman, but there are guys who've had better years and been higher up on the card and had better G ones than Hangman Page did this year. Right. Who ended up in New Japan Rumbles. And ended up in six man gauntlet tags. I mean, Elgin was <laughs> on our new Japan Rumble. So I would be, I would say the chances are probably almost none that he will end up in any sort of realistic singles match. I don't, I don't see him singles. I definitely see uh, never six man gauntlet him, Chase Owens, and Yujiro Takahashi. That could definitely be, I could definitely see that happening. Or also, new, just new Japan Rumble. Depends on how he does in the tag league this year. Yeah, good old Virginia boys could be getting a tag title shot. So I think that they're high on him. You know, Trent Beretta was kind of in a similar situation last year. They kind of gave him a push, and he ended up picking up a win at Wrestle Kingdom in the Never Tag Man, you know, six-man tag. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a nice little spot. Hey, Hangman Page has really elevated himself in this company, but it's still too early to talk about any right. kind of, like, singles matches at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. 
um, on Twitter at Deerfish Gaming thoughts on Jay White and his in-ring ability being overshadowed by his heel performance. Both great in my opinion, but he lacks a solid definitive win based on his wrestling ability. Yeah, I mean, but that's the character. I, I really like Switchblade as a character. Um, I think he's had, you know, some very, very good performances this year. Nothing I would really call match of the year caliber. Uh, probably his best match was with Juice Robinson at uh, Strong's or in no. San Francisco what at the Cow Palace. Uh, G one in San Francisco. Yeah, G one San Francisco. Yeah. Um, you know, my thoughts on him are just what I said. You know, um, I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not going to overhype him and overpraise him. Um, it is what it is with with JY at this point. Yeah, and he, I think he does have more to offer. Um, and we'll, you know, there are guys like Kenny Omega, for someone who comes to mind almost immediately, for who for a long time was a great performer, but was doing you know character matches and shenanigans yeah. on the junior side. And then when, even when he first came in, yes, he was a phenomenal performer in the heavyweights, but a lot of his early matches were overshadowed by Bullet Club, the Bullet Club stuff. And it took it took until literally that G one that he won. Before he started putting in those performances where people are like, oh, he's the best wrestler in the entire world. <laughs> um, and I think I think we'll get there with Jay White. I'm not saying he's going to be Kenny Omega level or the best wrestler in the world, but um, th- he still has so much upside and he's still so young. Yeah, and the thing with Jay White, I think the ultimate goal is when you watch his match, you want to see him get punched in the face. And he's doing a great job of that. Yeah, so um, great question. Uh, then our boy Clive from the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show, he wants to know what's next for the Tongans. In our opinion, where do they go next with F the System angle? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think we'll be seeing a IWGP heavyweight tag title match. Now they, uh, you know, beat the super villains. Uh, I can see that uh, fighting spirit unleashed. G.O.D. versus Young Bucks. I think, like, Tangelo was, like, 16-0 on this, like, uh, turn. Like, yes. Like, he, he won all the, the freaking tag matches they had. Right, yeah. Every night, ape shit. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that. As far as where it goes, it's really hard for me to predict at this point. I do assume if Tamatanga is... I don't know. Do you think that they go with... I think at some point we're going to get some sort of definitive match between, like, a singles match with Kenny. Do you really? Think, you don't think so? I mean, after the, what's the point? After the G1 loss, it's I'm like, not saying there's a point. And I don't, yeah. I'm not saying I want to see it, but I'm just saying it seems like that's what they would have to... They're going to have to blow it off at some point. I guess so. So do you think that they go him and Fale, or do you think they go him and Tama? I don't even know, because I don't want to see either. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of thinking, yeah. like, maybe, like... The, the match in San Francisco will be him against one of the bullet or one of the yeah one of the OGs well I'll maybe him against Fale because I definitely see G.O.D. versus Young Bucks at Long Beach really yeah okay I kind of thought maybe they end up doing that at, uh, at King of Pro Wrestling mm. but I mean I really don't know I don't know enough I, I do feel like obviously they've got plans in the works for them otherwise they wouldn't have protected them this hard during the tournament <laughs> and they wouldn't have all this interaction with Harold Mai and everything like that so yeah, I mean that's that's a tough one. I'm, and again, like I said last week, I really don't have very much uh, investment in the outcome of what happens with the the OG Bullet Club. I have seen some people on Reddit who've been like, "All you basic stupid marks criticizing this," and three months from now, this is going to be one of the best storylines, and you're all going to basically be eating your words. But I'm still, you're going to have to prove it to me because yeah. I'm just not seeing it. I'm sorry. 
uh, Dom Homie 101 he says what do you think is the end game of this whole uh, Bullet Club OG stuff would uh, it make sense to bring back Balor oh, would it bring would it bring back would what it bring back Balor and make it better or this B- BCOG thing dead in the water I don't know if they can pay Finn Balor enough money I, to get him to come back. I don't think Balor's coming back, but I do think Machine Gun Carl Anderson's coming back. Yeah, I could see that. And that would be that would turn this angle around. Him coming back, him being the leader. You run Carl Anderson versus Kenny Omega. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really good. Um, yeah, I just I don't know like what the end game is. The same way I didn't know what the end game was with Kenny and Cody, mm-hmm. but ultimately it was you know it was a two match series is what it really led to, and. You know, some fun multi-man matches, and that was about it. That's why I'm kind of assuming, you know, this company, yeah, they'll probably have some elimination five-man tags down the road. But, you know, they're not going to do a war games or something, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So I'm assuming they got to do some sort of singles match blow-off until, you know, to, to blow it off so that... And, it, you know, I don't know when. I mean, we've got five months until Wrestle Kingdom. I'm sure that this... Hopefully isn't an ongoing thing by that point. I would hope so. I'm sure we'll get a Ishimori Marty Skrull match at some point. I I am a little over the fact of the I, I don't like the idea of there being two Bullet Clubs. Yeah, I, I'm not really a big fan of that. Um, I hope maybe they, it comes to a point where it's like only one of only one team can use the Bullet Club. Winner gets the rights. <laughs> Winner gets the rights to the Bullet Club. Yeah, that might be an idea. Um, uh, there's there's no prospective matches with you know Kenny and any of those guys that is enticing to me. So I don't know. What do you think? Like I said, I think I I just don't know where it's I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I think it'd be it great. started so strong. Yeah, it started strong, but yeah, I have no idea what the end game would be. I thought the end game was getting elevating Tamatanga to main event level. And being a world title contender, but I don't think that's... The Maybe they wind up doing the Golden Lovers against uh, G.O.D. Yeah. And then maybe that causes tension between Kenny and... Kota. And Kota Bushi again. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe Kota Bushi turns on him and takes over the OG Bullet Club. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and he said, also, since these guys didn't win the G1, what are, your guys, what are guys like Okada, Naito, and Ibushi... Who are they going to be facing at Wrestle Kingdom 13? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, for a while, I was really feeling like it was going to be Okada and Jericho. Mm-hmm. And that probably still would be a great decision. But they had that whole thing with Naito and Jericho that never really got wrapped up. And then you've got all this stuff with Hangman and Okada. It seems like maybe that's the way that they're actually going for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. That, so I don't know. Um, who, who he said Hangman no he said um, Okada Naito and Ibushi man Ibushi I don't know Wrestle Kingdom's so far away it's really hard to say at this point yeah he does uh, Ibushi does kind of feel like the odd man out a little bit at this point yeah I mean I could see Naito Jericho I could see Okada Jay White yeah I'm not sure what Ibushi would do I don't know yet I really don't know I, I it's too it's too soon uh, question from Reddit user Jai Brian. He said, "Did you find this G1 final a bit disappointing?" I bring this up because the last two years we've had uh, big returns, vignettes for returning young lions, and a few surprises. This year we didn't get any of that. We we didn't even get an update on Hiromu and the junior heavyweight title. Yes, I would say I, I was kind of expecting because they were having that that four way. Maybe to have like a little moment where Hiromu like did come out 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of hoping for that, but obviously, I mean, it's probably not in his best interest to do that right now, given his health concerns. Um, yeah, this was a very, very, very underwhelming G1 final card. I'm assuming that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Because the actual final match was... Yeah, he's talking about the whole card. Yeah, I would say that this was very, very underwhelming, actually. Um, I mean, it was fun. You know, it wasn't, like, the worst show of the year, but it, it was nowhere near being, like, a show of the year contender or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah. And, um, you know, one thing, too, there was a lot of nights that were good, but when you compare this, and we talked about it on the last show, but I don't think that there is a single night of the entire G1 that will get nominated for show, show of the year, year candidate. Yeah. As yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of great matches, but... I mean, like, night four and night two were, like, dope, and, like, you know, there's a couple nights towards the end where there's multiple great matches on a card, but just generally speaking, when you compare it to, like, a Dominion, you compare it to, like, uh, the, the the one night where all the... Uh, Super Juniors fought on the same car, like all the singles matches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is there's just nothing on this G, and this G one was great, but there's just no single card that really delivered like that overall as an entire card. And that's kind of how I felt about the G one final card this year. I did think it was underwhelming, especially since traditionally they're in Budokan, and traditionally speaking, it is one of their larger. Like last year's G one finals was like a show of the year. Can it was yeah. incredible, and this was nowhere near that. Yeah. Um, Simon with another question asking what do we think is the store for Naito and Ibushi we kind of already answered that uh, I mean what do you what do you think is in store for them in the immediate future um, I think we're going to get more of LIJ and Suzuki Goon I think at some point we're going to get another Naito and Saber matchup where Naito finally gets his win back and beats Saber um, I think we'll, we'll, oh go ahead uh, we'll probably get um Oh, never mind. I was going to say we're going to we'll probably get like a junior match, but Hiromu's out, so they can't run um, Kanemaru and uh, Desperado against Bushi and Hiromu. I'm kind of suspecting when it comes to Ibushi, he'll fade to the back temporarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, you know, go back to seconding Kenny Omega. Maybe we get some Golden Lovers tag Golden team matches. Elite, maybe. Yep, something like that. And then... Um, maybe like I don't know if he'll be in a prominent position for King of Pro Wrestling to be honest with you given given how things are but I think once we start getting to the Destruction Tour and then once we start gearing up for G1 we'll get a better clear oh, I'm sorry man I keep doing that on this show god um, yeah I think once we get closer to Wrestle Kingdom they'll have something in store for him and We'll, we'll get a more clear idea of where they're going with, with uh, Kota Ibushi. I still have this... I don't think this is going to happen, but I think if Kenny doesn't resign, you could hypothetically take the belt off of him between now and Wrestle Kingdom. And run them at the Dome. And then run it at the Dome. Kenny puts over Kota Ibushi, heads off in the sunset, and really like makes Ibushi a star. Yeah. Um, that's one thing you could do. I don't know if they're going to do that. Probably not, but still. A uh, question from uh, Mike Gottlieb. He says, who was our MVP of the G1? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I think it really comes down to three guys. And there were so many great competitors, great tournaments, but when it really comes down to it, you got Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and Tomohiro, Tomohiro Ishii. Ishii. 
And I mean, I'm very, 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 very torn. Um, I think I'm still at the point where I'm, I've got Ishii and Ibushi like neck and neck with Omega just right, like just, just underneath them and kind of like edged out. Mm-hmm. Is that, what, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I'm so torn between Ibushi and Ishii. Like, I think for me, I think I think I have to go Abushi just because he went to the finals. I think Abushi probably had the best match with Tamatonga of anybody in the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. The match, the the the, the two match series back to back with Omega and Tanahashi. True, and then everything else that he did on the entire tour was, was fire. fire. Yeah, like I think for me, I, and I am so torn on it, and I almost like don't want to make this pick, but. I think for me, the MVP, and I'm saying it with like such a torn <laughs> spirit about it, but I think it, I think you have to go Abushi. I think Abushi is the MVP of of this G1 this year. And then he also asked, "What, in your opinion, was the biggest upset during the, the G1?" Who's your Who's your MVP, bro? You 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 think you're getting out of this? <laughs> what are you doing, man? You gotta make you gotta stand up. For your rights and fight to survive, okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, so hard, so hard. But I think, I, I think I do have. You do have to go, Abushi. Okay. With the with the uh, Omega match and the Tanahashi match and just everything else. I mean, all of his matches were pretty much above four stars, with the exception of the the Naito match of the uh, Tama the Sonata match. match. The Yano match, the Zack Saber match, like yeah, the yeah, it, everything he did was fire in this Golden tournament. Star. So, uh, biggest upset. I think the biggest upset of the tournament in terms of kayfabe and everything is probably Jay White going over Okada yeah, on the first night. I agree with that, and I, and I kind of lump in him beating Okada and Tanahashi back to back. Yeah, I agree. It's I like agree. A big like. Whoa! Um, some other, I think Hangman Page beating yeah, Suzuki. Suzuki, yes, and yeah. and Makabe, but Suzuki specifically was a big upset. Yeah, uh, even though it didn't have too many bearings on the actual outcome of the tournament at that point. Um, I didn't think there was a lot of like upsets, like quote unquote. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. What what else did you think was like a like a? I thought Juice beating Sonata. Yeah, that was kind of upset. Even though, given their positions in the company, it's not too surprising. But the fact that Juice was coming off all these losses and Sonata was streaking and was, with if he'd won that, would have stayed in the contention because that one loss basically knocked him out of the entire contention for winning the G1. That was a pretty big upset. Uh, that was pretty, up, like, actually surprising. Um, Yano beating Abushi and Omega. Oh, yeah. Big upsets mm-hmm. both times. Um, anything else that kind of like sticks out to you? Uh, I thought uh, Sonata beating Saber. It wasn't a not a huge upset, but uh, Saber like yeah. squashed him pretty much in the yeah. New Japan Cup. Yeah, I agree. Um, one other one, uh, Makabe beating Suzuki. Oh yeah, was kind of surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in a vacuum, the one match that was probably the biggest quote unquote upset was Jay White beating yeah, Okada on the first night, which yeah, it's a pretty big upset. All right, uh, Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? Two questions. <laughs> why did you do that, bro? Bro, 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 
Bro. <laughs> Yo, I, I saw someone saying that WWE might be trying to get the rights to uh, regulators. Oh, for Matt Riddle? For Matt Riddle. That'd be so dope, right? Yes. So, he asks, who should be the next junior heavyweight champion since Hiromu's injured? Yes, we didn't talk about that last week, and I felt like an idiot, because obviously we need to address the fact that, you know, Hiromu's not going to be back for a while, so it creates a scenario where we need to crown a junior heavyweight champion. Um I don't, I don't know that they're going to do a tournament or anything like that. They could, but I, I just don't think that's what they're going to do. Right. If they did, it'd have to be like a one-night tournament Single with like four guys. one night, yeah. I mean, for me, I think the three guys that you got to consider who it would make sense to do like maybe a, like a title match, Osprey, Kushida, and Ishimori. Yeah, those are the three guys I were thinking too. Um, you could, I mean... They've been fans of doing triple threats this year. They could do a triple threat with those three guys. Yeah, that would be fire. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that they wind up doing Osprey because he was the last champion. Yeah. Against Ishimori, the guy who beat him in the first night of the tournament and was in the finals of the uh, junior, uh, you know, the junior, uh, the best super juniors. That's my guess. I think that that's probably what we'll get at King of Pro Wrestling to crown a new junior champion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they could um, do some kind of triple threat or multi man matchup. But like you mentioned, I do think Osprey, as a former champion, is probably the top contender. I mean, they push Ishimori hard. And Kushida, I mean, he's the ace junior. So those are all great guys. Um, do they, if they wanted to, they could even try to mean something surprising, you know, give it a show. They could, but I just think like, I don't. I don't think that would happen. I just didn't think Show and Yo did well enough in the Super Juniors from a kayfabe sense that that's right. what they would actually do. But right. I actually thought about that. Yeah, I'd like to see him go for the Never Title, like he talked about. Uh, Show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second question: uh, When do you think Jericho will presumably defend the IC belt against Evil? Um, I don't think he is defending against Evil. Yeah, I mean, they kind of. I think that maybe they like shot that angle just so they have something in their back pocket in case but I just don't see Jericho having a match with Evil right honestly I just think that was just Evil just saving Naito I mean Dave Meltzer has reported in the past that the expected time frame for him to come back is for King of Pro Wrestling but at this point with no surprises or anything I mean we might not see him till Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom at this point so it's hard to say all I know is he needs to drop the belt to whoever he wrestles next yeah uh, last question comes from Reddit user Templar235. He says, I know it's a bit early, but all the G1 undercard matches have me thinking of World Tag League. Any teams to consider now? I vote for the good old Virginia boys and Finjuice. <laughs> well, I mean, um, as far as considering teams, I mean, best friends. Best friends. They'll probably be ready and probably be back by that point. Which Young, young Bucks. The Young Bucks are going to be in it this year. They're probably going to at least go to the finals, if not win it. Win the whole thing. Yeah, I think they have to win it because they've never won that tournament, and it's like the one the one thing in New Japan that they've never done. And I'm right. sure that I just kind of think that's what they'll probably do. Yeah. Um, um, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised with like the the growing relationship between Impact and uh, New Japan Ring of Honor. That we don't get maybe an impact team, maybe LAX. I would name you another impact team if I 
knew any of them. <laughs> the OGs. You can do the you can do the impact OGs versus the BC OGs. I mean, I don't know if that would happen one way or the other. I don't know if but it's a possibility. Right. Uh, another thing, too, to consider, and it's one of my favorite things about Tag League, is, you know, you, you hear all these people, you know, talking about fantasy, te- you know, fantasy, like, uh, you know, c- participants in the G1. And very rarely do we get that because of how stacked, you know, the roster is. But when it comes to Tag League, you got 20 teams, 40 guys, and there's only so many tag teams. So they do end up usually bringing in a lot of guys from outside. Who else we can get? Who? SCU, yeah, yeah, bring an SCU. That would be oh my god, that'd be awesome. Um, Get the Briscoe, them boys. They could. I don't know if they'll bring in that many Ring of Honor teams, but they could definitely do something along those lines. Right. Um, you know, a lot. Of, one guy, a lot of people are always talking about Walter. Yeah, it would be great to see Walter either come in at, with Ring Comp. Or even if he just tagged with somebody, that would be. And we saw it with Jeff Cobb last year. We saw it with Sammy Callahan, different guys, uh, Chucky e. T. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised if they did bring some outside outside talent. Lots of times, like World Tag League is sort of like an audition for some of these outside guys. And yeah, and it's not like a, a strong or hard commitment or anything like that. So I'm very uh, I'm looking forward to to the tag league in that not maybe the actual tag league. But I think that there's a lot of cool tag teams that they could put together. I'd like to see maybe a Sekimoto. Can you imagine Walter and Sekimoto as oh a tag team? Oh, my gosh. They would destroy everybody. They would win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be like my dream tag team. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to move on and list our... We're going to uh, give some grades? You're going to do grades first? or the, the, the top I think we 10? should do grades and then we do the top ten. Okay. So we're going to do grades and... Uh, we will start. We want to start in the A block, B block. Let's let's yeah. Let's let's start with the A block. All right. So uh, we'll start with the A block, and we'll kind of. Uh, you want to start from the bottom. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Uh, whatever you want to do, man. Yeah, we we can start from the bottom, and we could uh, work our way up, and kind of we'll go through each guy and kind of give them a grade. Yeah, and I think with this, obviously, it would be very simple to be like, Balak Folly got six points, so here's his grade, and, you know, just base it off the point value. But I think it's going to be more so how they performed throughout the tournament, what our overall opinions are as, you know, as far as the performances go. Yeah. So I think we start in the A block. Let's start at the bottom, the bare minimum bottom, um, and start with Bad Luck Fale. So, <laughs> Bad Luck Fale, grade... F. Yeah, I would have to. I would have to say, bad luck, folly gets an an F from me, and I almost like don't even want to say that. But yeah, bad luck, folly gets an F. Um, he ended the tournament with six points. Now, he did not get pinned or submitted by anybody in the entire tournament, and I guess that's the first time that anyone's gone through the entire block with this many competitors and not been pinned or submitted. submitted yeah, but. He only won three matches, and he cheated in every single match the entire tournament. And worst, the worst offense, he had no good matches, yeah. not a single not one. one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I have to go with an F. I'm sorry, like yeah. you know, what I mean, and sure, this might be building to something great, and I hope it does. But yeah, every single that that, that was uh, what nine matches. Yeah. That I had to sit through that were just horrendous. So yeah, that's that. That's my take. I give Bad Luck Folly an F. He failed. 
So uh, next up, F is for Fale. F, <laughs> F, 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 F is for firing squad. F is for F him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Hangman Pagey. Next with six points. So I was just blown away by Hangman Page in this tournament. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I thought that even though he ended with six points, um, you know he ended up picking up two really big wins in mock against Makabe and Suzuki. He went out there every single night like a guy who knew that this was his one shot and just did everything he could to have great matches. Given the position he was in, given the time slot that he had. I thought he had some of the best matches with everybody in the A block, even though none of them were classics. Nothing was bad. Not a single match that he had was bad. Even the Fale, I know I said Fale didn't have a good match, but even, you know, the first night, the novelty of the DQ was still fresh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a B minus when it comes to Hangman Page. I was just going to go flat B. I'm going to go B- minus just on the fact that he didn't have anything that was truly blow away. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that he did lose quite a bit in the tournament and was almost one of the first guys just totally knocked out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of growth, in terms of star potential and things like that, he was he was excellent. And he might have been the MVP of the A block. So I'm going to go B- minus for, yeah. uh, for Hangman Page. Yeah, I'm just going with flat B for, you know... This guy definitely elevated his stock. If he had a few more good matches, he could have easily probably gotten to B plus, maybe even A minus range. But yeah, definitely a guy to keep your eyes on for the rest of the year. Uh, next up, uh, the Unchained Gorilla Togi Makabe. Um, yeah, so with Makabe, um, I'm gonna give Makabe. I'm gonna go C minus. That's what I was thinking too. Um, I, I would give him a more moderate C. Um, I thought I, I liked his. You know what? I really liked his match with Yoshihashi, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed the match with Suzuki. But after that, there was very, very little that I was super high on. Um, but I, I'm not going to criticize him. He was consistent throughout the entire tournament. He did remind me of Evil in that sense, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Makabe's torn down. I mean, you, you don't expect much. His you know, average match time was probably like a, a 10, 11 minutes throughout the whole tournament. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm, he, he didn't perform super long matches. I'm going to go C-minus with Makabe. Same here. Uh, next up, Big Mike, Michael Elgin. Yeah, with Mike Elgin, I'm going to go B. I'm, I'm going B-minus. Oh, really? B-minus? Yeah. yeah. Um, like, he definitely had some good matches in the in the tournament, but I think as the tournament come, Kate, like went on, he kind of faded out a little bit. Yeah, I would say out of – yeah, he did. You know what? Uh, I'll go B-minus with you. I'll go B-minus. I'll ride with you, dog. <laughs> um, you know, the Yoshihashi match was great. The Jay White match was good. I thought that the Tanahashi match was very underwhelming and very a, a big disappointment in my book because I looked I was looking forward to it for quite a while. Um, that the um, Page match was good. The Okada match was very very good. It's one yeah. of the best matches of of the A block. But you know Makape, Fale, and Evil. I don't know. You know, so he probably had out of he probably had like five. And the Suzuki match was a disappointment to me as well. So yeah. it, it was somewhat inconsistent, even in the matches where he. Um, where they weren't so good, obviously you could tell Elgin was working very, very, very hard, and he's just such a dynamic performer. 
Um, Elgin is one of my favorite guys when it comes to New Japan. Um, you know, say what you will about him outside of the ring, the guy can go. But um, he was injured. And he and he, towards the end, it really did start affecting a lot of his performances. This is a grueling tournament, man. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough a grueling tournament. Um, so yeah, I, I have to go. Yeah, you're right. B B minus for Elgin. Uh, next up, Yoshihashi. I'm gonna go with a C plus for Yoshihashi. Yeah, C plus is a good grade for Yoshihashi. And it, and he wasn't too far from maybe he. It, some of these performances were so good that I almost want to go B for Yoshihashi, but then so many of them were duds that it was so inconsistent. I have to go just – I'm going to go C-plus for yeah, him. Look, he was almost almost that B-minus, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, uh, evil. Ten points. C. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go C also. I mean – Tell me the, good, the really good uh, evil match that stuck out to you. There wasn't any. <laughs> Tell me the really bad evil match that he had on this tournament. Fale. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, I thought it was one of Fale's best matches. Yeah, I mean, in general, I was just joking, but in general, yeah, he, he was just kind of he was average, not 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 great, but not bad. But he was right in the middle of the yeah, road. Yeah. See, like we we talked about last week, he's just very comfortable where he's at, and it showed. Uh, we know he's capable of more. I didn't see that here. I'm not going to overly criticize him, but he, he, evil gets a C in my book. Yeah. Uh, next up, the King, Minoru Suzuki, also with 10 points. I'm going to give Minoru Suzuki a C+. I don't want that man to gotch me, but <laughs> <laughs> i got to agree. Um, I mean, he, he had his good matches, but overall, I mean... You know, Suzuki, very often, and the G1 is not his tournament, you know what I mean? Um Given his age, you just you don't get the best of Suzuki on this tour and on and during this tournament. Those days have kind of passed. So I mean, I'm, I'm not. I am kind of grading a little bit. I would say on a curve. Mm. You know, yeah. um, I wouldn't say Suzuki. Suzuki had a couple good matches, but overall, um, you know, the like for instance, the Okada and the Tanahashi matches were great, but the rest of it was kind, was just middle of the road, and that's why I'm going to go C plus for for you know Suzuki. Next up, we got Switchblade Jay White with 12 points, third place in the block. B minus. That's where I was at, too. I feel like um, he really did a great job of developing his character in this matchup, in, in this tournament. And then, you know, having those upsets over Okada and Tanahashi. And, you know, he had some solid performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here um, and say that. You know, Jay White was just phenomenal in this tournament. And there's definitely criticisms, all the ref bumps, all the chair shots. But he was creative. Um, He really honed into his character. I thought he was very – I think part of the reason why I also am giving him a high score is because he was great on the undercard. Yeah, he was. The the storytelling storytelling between him and Yo – Yep. And just trying to get Yo to take his lead. You know, Jay White was never going to, um, you know, I I thought he could have potentially gone to a G1 Finals, but I think we got the the right match yeah. at the right time. Um, it's it's not Jay White's time for that, but they put him in a good position. 
He told compelling stories with each guy that he wrestled. He didn't have too many classics, but I thought his start with the stuff with uh, Tanahashi and Okada was very compelling. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I liked his Elgin match maybe the best yeah. of the tournament. Uh, or at least it was one. Actually, well, I liked the Okada match in a, in a vacuum as well. Um, but, yeah, I'm gonna, I am gonna have to go B-minus with Jay White. Uh, next he up. He almost won the whole thing. Yeah, he did. Uh, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, second place, 13 points. I'm going to go B. I'm going to give him a B. Um, and I'm very close to giving him a B minus. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm thinking, I was like on the edge of like B, B minus. But I'm going to go with a B. B for broken. <laughs> B for broken Okada. B for balloon. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, so Okada, I gotta go B, and it's simply because, in a, in a way, very similar to Evil. No real bad performances. Um, he was like the higher level of Evil. Yeah. You know, he performed at this one four-star level for almost the entire uh, tour, maybe slightly beneath that. He did have an incredible, you know... Um, I have to give him a B. He had one of the best matches of the tournament with Tanahashi. And, yes, a lot of this was booked to be a certain way. And, obviously, we know Okada can do more. But I have to – I'm just going to go B because he's broken. <laughs> <laughs> and then the ch- the champion, G1 champion, the winner of the A block in first place, 15 points, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. I'm really torn on Tanahashi. Um you know, he had 10 matches. Three were just incredible. And then seven of them were very underwhelming. Yeah. But nothing was bad. I'm thinking he's like a B also. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to give Tanahashi a B. Um, I can't I can't go above that. I can't give him a B plus or... <sighs> I mean, the the Ibushi match was an A. The Okada match was an A. But overall, you got to... You gotta, we're we're this doing is, overall the great. The match was great. Yeah. But yeah, if we're going overall, I'm just gonna stick with a B. I'm gonna stick with a B for uh, for Tanahashi. Um, if he if some of these you know other performance and I I want to go higher and just grade on the curve because he's broken down and hurt and stuff and I understand and it, obviously we can see what he's capable of. But I, I, I yeah I gotta go with a B for Tanahashi even though I love him. All right, so now let's go to the B block. Who do you think was the MVP of of the A block overall? Uh. See, man, that Tana, those last two Tanahashi matches like make it so hard not to pick him. But I think if we're thinking overall, all the matches, I think it might be Hangman Page. I kind of think you got to go with Tanahashi, though, for this reason alone. He had 15 points, which is one of the highest like finishing point totals in the history of the tournament. Although most of his matches didn't really overperform, they were all relatively good. Yeah. And then he put on two incre- two cla- like incredibly high caliber wrestling matches and then the match with yeah, Suzuki. Yeah, I guess yeah, cuz um and, and if you really think about it, his three matches were the three best the matches, matches of, of a, the yeah, entire A block. I was about to say like based off of our list that we're going to go over in a second, yeah. I, I think for it, just based off that, and if you were in a stronger block where someone had had 
greater matches and taking nothing away from from Hangman Page, taking nothing away from uh, you know from uh, Michael Elgin. I've got to go Hiroshi Tanahashi on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so B block starting at the bottom. We got Tamatonga six points. I'm gonna give Tamatonga a D plus. I was gonna give him D minus. <laughs> um, I will give him a D plus for this reason. Um, I thought that he had a couple okay matches. A D plus is nothing to get excited about. Right. That's still a failing grade. You get a D in school and you're failing. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not praising the guy. Mama Mo wasn't happy with no D's. You get a D, you fail. Yeah. You know, like that's what that is. Like it's not a C average is a passing grade. A D is a fail. So, um, you know, but I will say this. I thought the Ishii match was interesting. I thought that the Naito match was interesting. I thought that the Ibushi match was interesting. I'm not saying they were good. I don't think he had a single match that was probably higher than three stars the entire tournament. Yeah. I just don't think it was as bad as Fale. Right. And I thought he had some interesting stuff going on with the whole story with Kenny and Ibushi and, you know, the the run that him and his brother had on the undercard. So for that reason, I'm going to go D+. But it's still bad. Yeah. It's still really bad. Yeah. I can I can go with the D+. Plus. Uh, you don't have to. It's your grade, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, Toriano, also six points. Oh, Toriano? Yes. I'm going to go C+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. C+, plus of Toriano. I mean... And I'm, I'm almost like B-. minus. Like, yeah. Shooter Yano really impressed me this year. And I popped for every belly to belly, man. Dude, every match he had was... Good. Every single match he had was good. You might not be a big fan of the Yano stuff, and I get that. But, I mean, dude, like, how, how like, even though it was a comedy match, how much drama was there when it was him and Omega? Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he picked up that big win over Ibushi. Uh, the match with him and Sonata is was, one of the funniest oh, matches funniest I've ever match seen. Funniest match of the tournament. Uh, just the storyline of him trying to turn his life around and do the fair play. I just thought it was great. I, I really, really enjoyed his story arc during this entire tournament. So yeah, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go C plus for Yano. Uh I, I really liked the Zack Saber match a yeah. lot. I thought that maybe the Zack Saber match was my favorite match of his during the whole tournament. Uh, probably for like match wise, but I don't know, that's not a match, man, just that was hilarious. Had me dying. Yeah. Um next up also with six points, the never open weight champion, Hiroki Goto. Wow, man, that's a tough one, huh? Yeah. Um, I think, um, like... Well, let's think about it. He squashed Goto. He had an... He is Goto. I'm sorry. He squashed Yano. <laughs> he had an underwhelming match with Tamatanga. He had a, you know, a decent match with Sonata. He had a decent match with Saber. He had a... Uh, he had a, a, a very, you know, a very good match with Robinson. The Kenny Omega match was a classic and, you know, one of the best matches of the tournament. Uh, the Ishii match, one of the best matches of the tournament. And then just a decent match with Ibushi. And when this whole tournament started, people were getting on me, talking about, you know, how I was underrating him and stuff. And he's having a great year because he put out those two bangers back to back with, uh, you know, with Ishii and um, Omega. Omega. But then... Then he, where was this guy the rest of the tournament? Where was he the rest of the tournament? Now, I'm not going to bury him, but I'm just saying that this is what I've been talking about all year with Goto. 
He's capable of so much more, evidently, obviously. And then he turns around and he starts sleepwalking through the freaking tournament. Yeah. And he's been sleepwalking through his never title reign. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start talking about how he's sleepwalking, and then he puts on a classic with with Michael <laughs> Elgin. Everyone acts like you're an idiot, and then you know, and then he does this crap. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go B minus. Oh well, yeah. B for Barry. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll go B minus for Goto because he put on two really, 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 really great matches. No, I'm going C plus. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like you know, those two those two matches, as great as they are, they really don't outweigh. I, I, if they if those matches were any lower, I would have gone C. So I'm just gonna go C plus. They they, they edge them out, but I'm I'm not going higher than C C plus for Goto. I'm I'm sorry. Gotcha. I don't know, man. I guess I'm a lenient teacher. I I, I think he deserved a B minus. I don't know. Like, I don't think his tournament was as good as some of the other guys I gave yeah. B's to. I'm just sorry. Like, I, I need I need some consistency there, you know? Consistency. All right. Uh, the IWGP U.S. champ, the flamboyant Juice Robinson, also with six points. Oh, man. That's a tough one. It's really tough with Juice because he had so many good matches. And he did so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had some really... Oh, man, I'm gonna go B minus on Juice. I'm, I was gonna go just uh, B flat. I'm gonna go B minus, just because the kayfabe. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, in a way, like, yeah, he performed so well, but, and I'm sure they're gonna rectify this. I'm not saying they're burying him, but man, he's coming out of the G1 looking a lot weaker than he, than he did going into. He the went G1. that thing red hot. Yeah. And so, I understand the booking in New Japan, but I'm just saying that I gotta give him a B minus coming out of this thing. Um, and he yeah. got, and then he ate a pinfall against Cody Rhodes. Yeah, <laughs> like the champion got beat, so it's pretty. Yeah, I'm going B minus. I'm sorry. All right, Cole Skull Sonata. Okay, so Sonata, eight, Sonata, eight points. Sonata's a guy I'm going B. Yeah. Flat yeah. B for Sonata. This was a great tournament. This is his best G1, This I is think. his best G1 by far. Yeah. Um, the match with Ibushi was fire. The match with Ishii was fire. Saber. The match with Naito was really good. The Saber match... The Saber match is one of my favorite matches of the tournament. We're not... It's not in our top 10 or anything, but... Oh, my God. I loved it. It's one of the best, like... How long was that match against Zack Saber Jr.? Um, um, let me see here. Zack Saber against Sonata is like ten minutes forty five seconds. Yeah, no. It's one of my favorite eleven minute matches ever. I just I loved it. I really really liked that match. The Omega match was awesome. The Juice Robinson match was very very good. Where Juice picked up that win and you know clocked him. Um, he picked up a quick win over Tamatanga and the the Yano match was hilarious. Like Sonata had a great tournament. Yeah, yeah he did. I gotta go B. Uh, Next up, Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, A+. Plus. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to go A, A+, plus for yeah. Ishii. I, I got to. I got to. Uh, Did he have anything that was bad? L- let's just talk about this for a second. The Goto match. Just Amazing. A strong Banger. style war. The match with the Bushi, just Banger. incredible. The Naito match, just another in the long line of great matches those two guys have had together. The Omega is an all-time classic. 
the Juice Robinson match was really, really good for an undercard match and also great. Um, the Zack Sabre match was very, very compelling and just shocking. Um, one of the best Tamatanga matches of the tournament, and then the Yano match was a great comedy match. Like, Ishii had an all-time classic G1. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I got to go A-plus for that. All right, next up, leader of LIJ, Tetsuya Naito. 12 points, four-way tie for first place. What do you feel about Naito's run? I think I'll uh, go, like, B-plus. I'm just looking at it. So, like, him and Naito had, like, a three-star match. Him and Ibushi had just a crazy drop-you-on-your-head, like, war. That was insane. Um, one of the most dangerous matches of the whole tournament. Yeah. Um, him and Ishii had an excellent match. Him and Omega had an, had an all-time classic. Um, the match with uh, Juice Robinson was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the match with Sabre was also very, very good. Um, the Sonata match was great. The Tamatanga match was interesting. And then the Yano match was very funny. Um, I'm going to go B-plus for yeah, Naito. That's what I want. Yep. He, he lost a couple... Even though he had great, like very good matches, his top tier stuff overall, it's not as high as some of these guys. I'm going to give yeah. A's to, and he lost some of these matches that were very important. And in a way, even though he still came out looking strong, he ended up in a four way tie for the, for the points totals. Of those guys, he came out looking the worst. Yeah, when it comes to elevation and things like that, because he lost to pretty much all three of them. Yeah. The other guys that he tied, he lost all three of them. He would have lost the tiebreaker to all of them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go B-plus for Naito. All right, next up, Zack Sabre time. Zack Sabre Jr., 12 points. I'm going to go B-plus for Zack as I'm well. Also, yeah, I'm also going B-plus for Zack. Um, we mentioned some of his matches. Um, the Omega match was pretty good. Uh, the Ibushi match was good. Um, the the Ibushi match was awesome. Yeah, the Omega match was very very good. Four stars probably, um, but he was out there. Not only was he having good matches, but he was dominant in this yeah. tournament. He was really like destroying guys. And even though he ended up losing some of the most important matches, many times it was guys having to pick up win up like roll like roll him up basically. Right. And they, they did a great job protecting Zach in this tournament. I think the only guy that like definitively beat him like really badly was Ibushi. Yeah, and he uh, he beat two of the two out of the three champions in the block. He tapped out Ishii, man. Yeah, like yeah, Zach Saber had an, and he pinned Tetsuya Naito with the freaking Zach driver. Like yeah, he had a great tournament. B plus. Next up, the best bout machine, Kenny Omega, twelve points. I'm gonna go A. Yeah. Going A also. I'm going to go A with Kenny, and the one thing that keeps me from giving him the A-plus is a couple inconsistent, I wouldn't even call them performances, but just matches. I'm not blaming Kenny. Kenny's been great, and, you know, you got to – this guy's just incredible, especially working through the injuries and everything of that nature. Kenny just had an incredible tournament. Yeah. Phenomenal. And then in first place in the B block – Winning the B block and going to the finals was a golden star. Kota Ibushi. A plus, man. Yep, A plus. Yeah. Dude, this man was on fire, man. 
Yep, him and every I- single match. Him and Ishii, incredible. Him and Naito, incredible. Him and Omega, him and Juice was really good. The Zack match was great. The Sonata match was awesome, and it did a great job elevating Sonata. Um, he probably gave Tamatanga his best match. Him and Yano, very funny. Um, the one, the one like glaring errors, like maybe the Goto match. It yeah. wasn't like necessarily a classic, but it was still it very was still, good. It was like a four star. And, and then the Tanahashi match, which is. You know, it, it's legendary. Yeah. So I got it. Yeah. Abushi, A plus. A plus. All right. Well, that's our grades, ladies and gentlemen, for all the competitors in the G1 Climax. Now we're going to list our top 10 matches of the tournament. Uh, young boy and I, we work together. Um, this is our combined list. So it might not be reflective of where I thought things were going to fall. It might not be reflective of where Jeremy necessarily thought. I think our, our lists are probably very similar, especially right. the first, you know, the top seven, especially. I think we had to do a little bit of digging to come up with the last three. But once we kind of came to some compromises, this is the, this is the keeping it strong style. Top 10 matches of the G1 Climax 28. And I'll start it off at number 10. Night two, Kota Ibushi taking on Zack Saber Jr. Incredible match. Yes, man, that was a yeah. I love that matchup. And then uh, number nine, we had Kenny Omega versus Hiroki Goto from night four. Can you imagine that? Our ninth match is a match Dave Meltzer rated five stars. <laughs> that just tells you how good this tournament yes, was. Yes, man, how great this freaking B block was, man. Um, in night. On uh, in coming in eighth place, we have Kota Ibushi taking on Tetsuya Naito on night fourteen. The head drop spectacular. Yeah, the last bump, uh, last, last bump fest. Yeah, last bump mania. <laughs> uh, number seven, we have Tomohiro Ishii against Hiroki Goto from night six, which might be like the strong style match of match the of the year. whole tournament. Yeah. Just oh my god. Um, coming in at number six, we have the A Block Finals. Uh, Kazushika Okada taking on the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi in just an incredible, incredible encounter. 30-minute time limit draw. And the only A Block match on this list. So, yeah, the only one on the entire list. Yep. Uh, so number five, we have Kenny Omega versus Tetsuya Naito from night two. Near five star match. A lot of people were expecting Naito to get the win, but Omega pulled it out. Yeah, and you know what? In a way, this we we talked about upsets. This kind of was an upset. Yeah, many so many people had Naito going over Omega. Now, in a kayfabe sense, it's not necessarily an upset, but in a way, it kind of it kind of felt like it was because yeah. it was so unexpected that Kenny would go on this streak that he went on. So, um, at night four, we have Kenny Omega and. Kota Ibushi from the B Block Finals. Man, I like I mentioned, I already talked about how much I love that match. It's incredible. If you haven't watched that match yet, I don't know what the heck you're doing right now for your life. Yep. <laughs> All right. So number three, we have Kota Ibushi against Tomohiro Ishii from Night Ten. Another banger from the two. Like, pretty much the top two guys in that block. Yeah, the top two performers of the entire tournament, basically, essentially. And then uh, on night two, Tomohiro Ishii versus Kenny Omega from night 14, the night that Kenny was broken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the Japanese best bout machine versus the best bout machine. Yeah, Meltzer gave that five and a half. He did? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not on Observer Live. I didn't want to listen to anything or read anything because I didn't we, want. To, we put it in the group thread. I'm not on the group thread hard, half the time. I got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, coming in number one was the finals of Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Bushi. Yeah, what a match, what a match. And it's that was something where like I didn't go into that match necessarily expecting to see a match the caliber that we did. I expected it to be great, but this was by far the best Tanahashi and Ibushi match I've ever seen. One of the best G1 Climax finals I've ever seen and uh, the most likely contender for match of the month uh, in the month of August. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't even know if we have another show for the rest of August, so we're we prob- don't. Yeah, we're probably going to be able to just name that right off the bat as like the, we'll get to it next month, but that's probably going to be it. So, yeah. Well, that wraps up the pretty much our G one coverage. Oh my God, it's over. Do you have any final thoughts about the G one? Anything you like want to say? Well, this is my first G one that I've watched from start to beginning. All nights, I've watched a majority of I watched majority of the undercard. I didn't skip every undercard. I did skip some, but man, it was a great journey. Like I feel like this is like a wrestling fan bucket list item to check off. Yeah, um, I loved all the great wrestling, and just I'm excited. It makes me more excited about this new Japan product, and I'm more even more invested and I just can't wait to see what the rest of this year holds yeah I I just want to say you know me and Jeremy we've never like he said sat through an entire G1 so uh, you know the fact that you guys are tuning in and listening to this I actually you know it's interesting I've noticed that the last couple weeks our numbers have been a little bit lower than normal and you know why I think it is I think it's like so much G1 for, for for listeners and for fans that it's like almost overwhelming overwhelming to even like after you've watched it to go back and listen to a whole review on the thing so for those of you that have stuck around and don't get me wrong we're doing fine the numbers aren't that bad but you know the for those of you that have stuck around we really really appreciate the support that you guys have given us I know that not everyone that listens has the same opinions or takes that we do. Uh, we, we we hear you guys on the message boards and in the discussion groups and things like that. Um, you know, but this was the first time that we've ever actually sat there and reviewed the entire thing. So we it, it does mean a lot that you guys are here with us listening and supporting the show. And, um, you know, I, I am looking forward to what the rest of the year holds. And I'm looking forward to uh, Kingdom season. And it, it's, it's time. It's coming up. So, yeah, man. Let's uh, jump into news. Okay. So the big news this week. Ring of Honor. New Japan Pro Wrestling. They sold out Madison Square Garden in three freaking days. They sold the whole thing out on the first day of the general public sale. 18,500 tickets. WrestleMania weekend. Vince, where you at, boy? Man, we will be there. We got tickets. Keeping a strong style, social suplex. We will be at MSG. It's going to be amazing. Bro, this is like something I never imagined I'd be Honor able. Club paid off. Oh my. We got that <laughs> Honor Club, the early day access. 
I had a breeze, just popped that thing up, got us some Section 104 tickets. I haven't even looked at our section. Is it good? <laughs> yeah. Like, really good? It's, it's pretty good. Section 104, man. That's great. So, yeah, I mean, um, this is so exciting. It's it's so, 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 so exciting. Um, I don't even – I can't even start to begin to think about what's going to happen. I know, like, um, the Fed Defense squatters are out there, and they're – they're feeling kind of butthurt they're, about this whole thing. They're in their feelings, they're, man. they're in the feels, bro. Yeah, man. The funny thing about it is like, I, okay, so, you know, there are people out there who are basically kind of trying to downplay this accomplishment, talking about how it took two companies to right. combine to do this. Oh, why, why don't they sell out a stadium? Why don't they sell out Saudi Arabia? Yeah, why don't they, why don't they do what WWE's done with, you know, all the money that that company's got? Or why are they, you know, how is this great? Because they're not even competing with WWE. They're competing with their developmental brand. Right. Okay, guys, let me just tell you something. This is going to be the first over million dollar gate that was non-WWE in like 20 years, maybe one of the only times that it's ever happened. So, yeah, you can put you can put your head in the sand and say like, oh, you know, this company's not on the same level as WWE, and it's not because they're trying to do something different. But guess what? They're coming to your stadium or to, to your, your arena. arena. Yeah. In your backyard. In your backyard. And Dave Meltzer actually talked about this, um, and he said, you know, there's a very good possibility and likelihood that the majority of the people who are coming for this uh, Madison Square Garden show will not be attending uh, WrestleMania. I know I'll be one of them. I'm not, uh, going, I'm not going to WrestleMania. Neither am I. I'm I mean, we're, we, go, we're going there for this show. Yeah, and of course all the, the indie stuff. This just – it feels so – awesome to be a fan of this product at this time a little less than a year ago you and i did an episode talking about the u.s expansion and we talked about that was our, yeah, our first episode is our first episode and we we talked about okay they run this five thousand seat show in long beach then they do you know we didn't even know that they were gonna do the uh the show in the Cow Palace at the time, right? But then they run the sh- the, the Cow Palace show, and it does you know six or whatever the number is. Um, then they turn around and they do All In. Now, now we're here, and oh, and they all you know, and then they ran Supercard. Uh, super they did six six K. So it's like there there have been these I- incremental little like you know little steps, and now the wrestling business is changing, man. Like uh, we were so excited and stoked when all in sold 10,000 seats. This almost doubled it in 3 days. Yeah. That's incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible, man. That's incredible. Dude, I'm telling you right now WWE and this is this is exciting. I'm not even talking crap about them when I say this. WWE is going to be pulling out all the stops for that takeover. I you have to imagine that they will be because they love competition. And guess what? I like competition. This is healthy for the business mm-hmm. of pro wrestling. Like, I don't even know what's going to be on either card at this point, but I know it's, I know whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I think Dave Meltzer said he thinks we're getting like a, uh, like a Tokyo Dome level caliber main event, main event yeah. for this. Yeah. And I, the G1 super card, man, you know, we, we were in, uh, we we're at the Lakefront Center Arena last year, 6,000 people. It's going to be a year later, and they're doing more than oh, double, more than three times that. Yeah, more than three times that. That's incredible. 
that's incredible, man. You got any thoughts on this? Dude, I'm super pumped for the show. I'm excited. I wish, you know, it was WrestleMania weekend already. Um, but yeah, man, I can't wait to see what the card's going to look like, who's staying, who's going. Um, next week, we're going to put together our uh, fantasy supercard, uh, G1 supercards. Yeah, that that sounds like a cool idea. I can get with that. Yeah, so... and um, If you guys got any suggestions, what you think you want to see on the... What you're you know, uh, predictions or what you'd like to see on the, uh, G1 Supercard. Give us, you know, hit us up. Yeah, man. You know where to, you know where to find us. Um, in other news, um, Harold Mai, you know, kind of did a press release this past week talking about, uh, they're moving into a new PG direction sort of for, uh, New Japan. They're going to cut down on cursing and obscene and offensive gestures and things like that. Uh, we already kind of talked about it. I don't know if it's just storyline or not. It, it seems like it, there's a very good chance that it's just playing into storylines. Right. Well, I mean, if they're trying to get more sponsors, I, I could see it not being a storyline, but... Yeah, and it, and it might be, a, you know, something where they're melding real life with, you know, wrestling storylines, which makes a lot of sense. So we'll see if that plays out and if that does tend to be a trend with New Japan going forward if, if, the, if that is something where they, they cut down on that stuff but it, we don't know yet honestly if it's it, it very well could just be a storyline yeah um, also um, let's take a look here did you catch the C Block press conference this past week with Kevin yes, Kelly yes caught the C Block press conference Kevin Kelly Toa Hanare David Finley the presentation of the C Block trophy and then we had the C Block finals with um, Michael Elgin and Michael uh, Elgin. Yeah, Michael Elgin and David Finley against Toa Hanare oh. and Shota Umino. I was like, Michael Elgin was in the A block. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, that was a whole controversy. Like, if Elgin got the win, then that automatically Finley would get the C block trophy. Oh, gotcha. And then uh, if Umino or Toa won, they were eligible for the C block trophy. But uh, David Finley ended up hitting the stunner on uh, Umino. And David Finley is your uh, C block champion. I saw where someone on Reddit basically calculated if if they're going to go by those tag rules for the C block, then they just considered everybody. Yeah. And your real C block winner is Tangaloa. That dude got 16 pinfall victories over the whole entire course of the thing. So yeah. screw you, Hanare. Screw you, <laughs> Finley. We all know who the real champion is. It's Camacho, baby. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the, that C block stuff was pretty funny. Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm, bro. I'm kind of hoping at this point that they do break up the tournament into four blocks next year. Yeah, I think a, I think they need to do that. There's a lot of great guys that. I think it makes more sense business wise. I think it makes more sense health wise, and gives more guys opportunities. I think it's. I think that's the better way to go ultimately. Yeah. So maybe next year we'll actually see a real C block yeah. and a D block. Yeah. Um, New Japan Pro Wrestling just came out with a new German language news site, which I saw on the internet. So if, if any of our German fans or listeners, you know, you might want to check that out. That was just launched recently. Um, as far as uh, Meltzer, did you see Meltzer's comments on the Madison Square Garden show? I um, mean, yeah, I listened to like Wrestling Observer Radio and I saw some stuff in the Observer, but was there something specific that... Just, just the fact that like this is going to do over a million dollars and, you know, the fact that it's just incredible that so many people that are going to this are not going to be going to Wrestlemania yeah Um, I am interested to see if going forward what WWE will try to do to block other attempts at companies doing things like this in the future you know what I mean right but very very interesting stuff Um, 
Kenny Omega, you know, was commenting on the G1, talking about his stuff with him and, uh, you know, Kota Ibushi. There was lots of uh, press coverage on that, of that, like, in the news, talking about, like, he didn't want to wrestle him, but, you know, the time had come. So that was something interesting. Um, also, we, we, need, we need to give a shout-out to Chris Charlton. Yeah, Chris- at, at ReasonJP on Twitter author of uh, Eggshells and uh, Lion's Pride yeah or Lion yeah Lion's Pride yeah Lion's Pride he was excellent these last few nights on the on the uh, tour yeah on commentary yeah I I liked him a lot oh way better than Django I wasn't gonna say it that way I was actually gonna find a more like diplomatic way to say it but yes uh Vastly better than Django, unfortunately. Like, Sorry, I mean Django was cool at first, but man, no Django. I'm, we don't know that Django or any, and I like his name a lot. But <laughs> I think you know Japanese is a very tough uh, language to yeah. interpret, and I thought that Chris Charlton did a fantastic job interpreting it. Plus, a guy with his knowledge. Um, you know, we kind of made a joke. You said that, like, you're like Kevin Kelly and I'm like Chris Charlton. Yeah, like Kevin Kelly knows his stuff and like can like get in there, but like. Chris Charlton like knew like all the history and the backstory and like can tell you like when this happened from the beginning and da 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 da. I was like, right, Josh. <laughs> Kevin Kelly was like, right, right, Chris. <laughs> so I thought I thought Chris Charlton did a great job actually bringing something new and fresh to the uh, to the English you know commentary. And I hope they bring him back, man. I yeah. I think it's awesome that like a guy like us who's a fan, who is literally just you know and yes, he's an author and stuff, but. He's a guy who came off the message boards, and he's a guy who's been pour, pouring his fandom into this thing that the company recognizes that, and they're like, hey, why don't you jump on board and like become a part of this? And I, I, I doubt that at any point he ever actually expected to be doing what he's doing. So, I mean, that's just – that's a really cool thing. I, I really can't wait to see um, the interactions between Don Callis and Chris Shelton. That would be hilarious, yeah. <laughs> um, Showbuckle just came out with a new video. Um, it's a music video that he put together kind of uh, detailing the 12 um, defense reign of Kazushika Okada. I don't know. Did you get a chance to check that out? I have not got a chance to watch it yet. I was a li- it, Okay, so as far as production goes, Showbuckle's the best as far as, you know, all that. Um, I was a little disappointed because I thought with this title reign we, we'd get like an actual full length, you know, with the narrations and all that. And I think he should maybe, if he's listening, consider doing that because I would be very – I mean, that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as the, the video goes, it's really cool. And if, you know, if you want to see a really cool video presentation, you know, just running down the defenses that Okada had over this, you know, these past two years, you know, you definitely want to check that out. Um, the Bullet Club has a cologne that is now out, and you can buy it on you know the New Japan Pro Wrestling website. You can smell too sweet. You can smell too sweet. <laughs> so they have that. They also have a couple uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, colognes, like yeah. Fighting, Fighting Spirit. Spirit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about the stipulations with the OG Bullet Club. Um, we don't know where that's going. Um, this past week, it was really cute and kind of funny. Um, New Japan came out with these really weird uh, videos of like Bear Tanahashi kind of like wandering around like uh, the city trying to find the entrance to uh, Nippon Budokan and then he ran into Bear Naito. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand it but I just thought it was worth mentioning like it's one of those weird like quirks that's like you'll never see this in an American right. wrestling company. They're just trying to sell gimmicks. Yeah they're, they're definitely trying to sell gimmicks. Um we talked about the G1 attendance on the A Block night that it was, you know, mm-hmm. cut down. Um, Tomohiro Ishii was in a uh, J-pop, which is Japanese pop music uh, music video. Yeah, 
Um, I don't know much more beyond it than that, but uh, it's on Reddit if you want to check it out. Um, Ishii, you know, when you see a guy like that that just screams, you know, music superstar. (laughs) Um, Aside from that, we have some other news. Um, So coming out of, you know, everything that happened with the G1, uh, Tanahashi has announced that he will be defending his contract against Jay White and Kazushika Okada. Uh, Kenny Omega came out and officially announced that he will be defending his belt next against Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull. Dude, man, it's going to be amazing. We also had the setup for Juice versus Cody on a future show. The OG Bullet Club won the Never titles. Um, Tetsuya Naito versus... um, Oh man, what Masato Tanaka is the free match of the week from Destruction 2013. This was during the um, uh, Stardust Genius days of Tetsuya Naito mm-hmm. for the Never Openweight title. So that's the free match if you want to check that out. Um, and then um, earlier today, Rey Mysterio Jr. was teasing um, an upcoming match between him and uh, Kazushiko Okada. And Kazushiko, Kazushiko Okada. Um, also confirmed via the internet that he wants to wrestle Mysterio. Well, maybe he can get get in before he goes to WWE. I can't think of a... Um, well, I, I would actually really like to see him and Kenny. But uh, that's one of those dream matches that I'm like, man, if they're going to do one and you're going to give us something like... You guys need to give us that match. Fighting Spirit Unleashed. If you're going to give us one match... Oh, that would be awesome. Fighting Spirit. So there's not going to be a world title match on that show, probably. Oh, my God. Mysterio versus Okada at that show would be awesome. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then the last bit of New Japan news. Kazushika Okada made the announcement during during the uh, uh, post-match press conference during uh, the G1 Finals that he will no longer be seconded uh, by Gato and that they're splitting up as a unit. He's still going to be part of uh, Chaos, but... Jeremy, that's kind of shocking. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I got the Twitter notification on that, and I was shocked and... Honestly, I think it kind of goes, and you were telling us, like, you know, a lot of um, aces and former champions never really had a manager, a ghetto, um, or even, or, or, or even or, just uh, be part uh, of a faction, faction, which I definitely think losing a Tanahashi again will be the catalyst for him leaving chaos. The, the only two guys I can think of that have been at that level who have been in factions were based essentially Choshu and um, Chono. But both of those guys were kind of seen as like the secondary guy, like, like at, at the same level in popularity, but not the true, true ace of the company. Mm-hmm. If you go all the way from Inoki to Tanahashi, the ace has always been a guy who had to defend against all these guys who right. were... In, they were trying to keep out, like, stables and stuff, right? Yeah, and Okada's the only guy in the history of the company who's been the true ace, but also been a member of a faction. Now, you know, the, the New Japan that we see today, it is more faction-driven than past iterations. That does make some sense, but I think with the way that they're going, eventually it's going to make sense. I think Okada's going to break away from Chaos. Yeah. I think Chaos might even just break away in general. Yeah, everybody just kind of go their own way. I mean, they've been around for a long time, and it's it's almost time. So, yeah. um, very surprised though, man. Yeah, Okada, Okada. I I didn't. I thought eventually this would happen, but I did not see it coming this soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have outside uh, New Japan news. So, did you see that Colt Cabana is suing CM Punk? Yeah. 
the former uh, Second City Saints, uh, former best friends. I mean, just after they won that lawsuit against Dr. Amon and, you know, the WWE and all that, um, turns around, there was a money dispute between Cabana and Punk. The alleged story is that Punk had agreed to help him with his uh, legal fees and then was unwilling to do so after a dispute. And so Cabana is suing Punk to have him for punitive damages and to also make up for the money that that's owed to him. Um, yeah, this is uh, pretty wild. And, you know, a lot of the people who were kind of like wanting Punk and Cabana to lose this thing are now like kind of joining Cabana's side. Yeah. Because they, they think like Punk owes something to WWE, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so that like this is his comeuppance essentially. Yeah. Um, I will say this though. I don't know enough. There's always two sides to every story. But I'll say this. If you and me were friends and you came on my podcast and got me in trouble and then I had to spend half a million dollars and then you told me that you were going to help me pay for it and then you didn't, I'd probably sue you. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know all the story. Yeah. We don't know Punk's side, but I'm just saying it's not. A, it doesn't look good for Punk. Yeah. And there's a good chance he'll probably lose that. I, I think there's a good chance. The one thing I feel bad about is Cabana is going to – taking this guy to court how long is this going to take and how much money is it going to cost him yeah so earlier this week uh, there was an indie show where um, they started chanting Punk's name and or it was during those progress shows mm. in the in the states yeah and um, they started booing CM Punk and started chanting Colt Cabana wow so I'm kind of just saying like you know I don't think that he's in any way going to be involved with All In but if that was like a surprise or if down the line they thought maybe they were going to bring him in and do this MSG show because I know that there's been talks with Ring of Honor stuff they might want to hold off on that (laughs) yeah because it's not a good look and wrestling fans are like kind of they're coming kind of going to another side I mean this might be like the greatest heel turn of Punk's career (laughs) Um, we also have CMLL action coming up this Friday because Kazushiko Okada and six-man tag action Friday Night Arena Mexico. Lucha Libre? Lucha Libre? Yeah, so Okada's um, never wrestled for in all his time. He used to wrestle for Toriumon, Mexico. Um, so I think this is kind of a big deal because I don't think he's been, I don't think he's ever wrestled on Friday night in Arena Mexico. That's cool. We'll have to check that out. Yep. Um, we have some tragic news. Flip Gordon sent out a tweet this past week um, talking about his uh, brother tried to commit suicide um, due to bullying. I guess uh, I don't know the full story, but I think his brother has like a, a disability of some sort. Maybe he's autistic or something of that nature, yeah. and he was getting bullied online, and so uh, he tried to commit suicide. And so, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really terrible thing to hear, man. Yeah. You, you still see a lot of that stuff going on on the internet, especially like on Wrestling Squared Circle, like like New Japan Reddit. Is like a really nice safe place. That's like the friendliest Reddit. Like it's like the friendliest internet. It's like community. the best Reddit ever. And then you go on a wrestling squared circle, and it's a, it's it's like a it's literally like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's like <laughs> what is happening on here? It's like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, it's like a lawless land, and so you see people saying hateful stuff, and you know. It's just, it's unfortunate to hear that stuff. And so I hope that uh, things get better for Flip and his family. And glad to hear that this wasn't, you know, a totally tragic, you know, incident. Um, Ring of Honor's GM actually came out this past week kind of commenting on what would happen if the Bucks and Cody uh, went to WWE. And he basically said, you know, hey, if they go, they go. We've seen them all go before. The, the Bryans 
the punks, the Joes, the big stars, the Steens, the Genericos, and we're still here and we're doing better financially than we ever had before. And if they take one of our, you know, our biggest stars, it's not going to be the first time. It won't be the last. But ultimately, he was saying that this company is not built around just one or two guys, but around the Ring of Honor experience that they bring. Now, I will, I've been critical of Ring of Honor this year, and I probably will be even more so if they do lose these guys. <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts on that? Because uh, they're kind of just openly addressing the fact that these guys might just all go. Right. And I mean, Ring of Honor has proven to survive after losing big stars. Um, if they do lose these guys, I mean, they 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 need to be actively scout scouting right now. Like they need to be signing some new, some fresh blood, and get some big stars in there. Well, we keep talking about it with the with how healthy things are starting to feel with the wrestling industry and how hot all these different products and brands are getting. Uh, Ring of Honor needs to do themselves a favor and get a better TV deal. Yeah. Now, that actually is interesting because PW Insider uh, reported this past week that they were in talks to potentially do a two-hour television show on WGN America, which I guess would be a bigger distribution um, you know, uh, opportunity. Yeah. yeah, platform for them. But, I mean, you know, one of these companies, man, one of these companies is going to get one of these – Dave Meltzer has been talking about it. He said it doesn't matter how great the wrestling is. doesn't matter the booking, all that. What matters next is following WWE's lead, which company – it's the great arms race at this point. Mm-hmm. Which companies get in that next TV deal? And whichever one does, they're going to be a viable number two in the in the world overnight, literally. Like that's how, that's how crazy things are getting with – that's why WWE is so scared. They're not scared about small companies running small shows and you know doing a 10,000-seat arena. They're worried about one of these shows getting – Enough Inve- buzz that they can get some investors. Yep. TV deal. One TV deal and it's and it's a wrap. All of a sudden now they've got a WCW situation on their hands again. And that might sound like far reaching, but it's really not with the way with the changing landscape with television and the growing value of live cheap produced content. Yeah. content I mean, someone's gonna get the next TV deal. Yeah. Um, and Ring of Honor needs to be doing everything in their position to get that. I think some of these guys who have held off from going to Ring of Honor because they wanted to go to WWE, because they wanted to go through the Evolve and the Gabes to get there, now they're starting to realize like there might be an alternative, a healthy alternative where we can get paid outside of WWE and actually do this thing. And Jeff Jeff Cobb jumped They on. just signed Jeff Cobb. That's a big, big, big signing for them. And I, I really won't be surprised in the next year, but because of this Madison Square Garden show that's coming up, I really won't be surprised if they sign a, a few more really big, talented guys in the next year. I mean, they're backed by Sinclair, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's some interesting stuff there. Uh, Minoru Tanaka, the former uh, junior heavyweight champion in All Japan and New Japan, is now officially taking U.S. indie dates. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you more posted on that if we see any anything pop up, but that's exciting to see him stateside. Um, speaking of television deals, what about the uh, rumors that have been coming out that Jericho will soon be working with Impact? Yeah, there's been a lot of rumor and kind of buzz about that. Uh, Rich Ladder wrote a great um, column on uh, Lords of Pain looking in looking into this uh, situation. And we know the relationship between Jericho and Don Callis and uh, Scott Damore. Um, Jericho's the one that got those guys the booking job at Impact. And, you know, Jericho always says he would never compete in the U.S. with events, but Impact films a lot of their stuff in Canada now. Um, hmm. So Very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I haven't really led too much credence to this, but it seems like the rumor just keeps growing and growing. 
So, you know, he's a creative guy. He wants to do other things. He might, right. he might, this might, I don't know the, where there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Carl Anderson um, just welcomed his fourth child to the world. So that's pretty awesome. He tweeted that out this past week. Um, we have unfortunate news. Um, Jim, the Anvil Neidhart uh, passed away earlier today. Um, did you hear any details about that? No, I haven't had a chance to uh, look into it. I saw the news uh, shared in a couple groups and threads. And uh, very sad news. I, I didn't really see that coming. Uh, very shocking, man. I mean, I remember watching Anvil growing up with Heart Foundation and um, just doing his thing with... Um, Need heart. <laughs> Need heart. Need heart. And all, yeah. All the stories of, you know, Stu calling Vince and, uh, you know, get the big rhino another <laughs> chance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Anvil, he was, he was good, man. He was a good big man. And, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's sad. Um, I, I guess more details will be coming out probably fairly shortly. Um, you know, we don't know the details yet, but uh, yeah. our condolences go out to the Neidhart family and the Hart yeah, family. Man. Um, speaking of the Hart family, Davy Boy Smith Jr. was on Xbox's podcast this past week. Did you get a chance to check that out? Yeah, I actually was listening to that today. He was talking about, you know, winning that gold medal at the Billy Robinson uh, catch tournament thing that we talked about um, a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And just kind of talking about some other stuff with, like, New Japan stuff. So That's cool. Um, also, this past week, when they were – basically, when they were teasing – that if Tamatanga and the Tongans got involved uh, with any of the B-Block matches going forward in the tournament, they'd have a three-month vac- uh, vacation, basically. Yeah. Finn Balor s- sent out a tweet, and he said, Brooklyn vacay. And he kind of teased them potentially coming to Brooklyn, which is where SummerSlam is going to be. Yeah. And um, they all talked about doing an, a Bullet Club reunion, and they all were sending out tweets, him, Fale, and Tamatanga, which I thought was very interesting. So. Yeah. You know, who knows? Maybe we will see Balor back one day. I don't think we will, but... Yeah, not anytime soon. You, you never know. Yeah. And then uh, we got some big news regarding All In and the la- the latest episode of Being the, the Elite. Elite. Yeah, so the big matchup for Kenny Omega was finally announced. Um, and it was great how they revealed it. He just got done wrestling Kota Ibushi. He's back there, you know, all beat up, drenched in sweat. And he was like, you know, guys, he's like, what, what, what are we doing for All In? Like, I haven't been keeping up with the announcements because of the G1. He's like, you know, who are we, who are we facing? And he's like... Yeah, I said it. Like, who are we, we facing? Like, he's all like, four he's of like, us. what's the Elite doing on this we, card? Yeah, what's the Golden Elite doing? And, uh, and they're like, well, uh, Bushi's with us in the six-man. <laughs> he's like, what? He's like, didn't you see the flyer for the big dream match? No, like it's kind of a big deal. It's a dream match, <laughs> and he's like, "What?" He's like, "He's like, well, you know, I don't want to. I just got done with all these singles matches, so I guess what am I doing? I'm, I'm gonna be in the gimmick battle royal." Like, <laughs> he's like, "You gonna put me out there with some like local talent?" He's like, oh, "Okay, that's." They're like, "Well," um, and then he was like, "What about that? Uh, that MGF guy that Corey likes? Uh, it's MJF." Yeah, he's he, like, "He's, he's like, booked I'll already." MGF. <laughs> he's like, "He's booked already." <laughs> And then he was like, he was like, all right, like he's like, I don't. They were like, Kenny Omega will be in a singles contest. He's like, singles? I just got done with singles <laughs> matches. He's like, all right, I'll go out there and I'll be the curtain jerker. I'll give you guys eight ten minutes and just open the show. And they're like, uh, actually, and it's like Kenny Omega is gonna be in the main event. He's like, oh main event. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm saying no. I'm not doing another main it's event. Like, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm sure Cody's not agreeing with this. He's like, 
Cody would never let this happen. He's like, no, I'm saying no. And then like, all right, well, we'll at least give you this. And it's like, Kenny Omega will be in the semi-main event. He's like, that's the same thing. <laughs> it's like, all right, all right, all right. Who, who am I facing then? And then they show the the, the freaking uh, graphic. graphic and the big announcement. He's wrestling Pentagon Jr. Yeah. The hardcore guy from TNA? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I yeah, I really pop for that. Which I'm very excited about this match, and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think that's gonna be awesome. Um, Nick Jackson actually did um, respond to someone's comment on Twitter uh, earlier today when they're like, "Well, if that's the semi-main event, which what what match is the main event?" And thank God it's not Cody and Aldis. It will be the six-man dream match: Bandito and. Um, who is it? Mysterio. Rey Mysterio, Bandito, and Phoenix, and Phoenix against uh, the Golden, Golden Elite. Elite. So that's that's going to be an aw- – and that actually makes me more excited for the match because, you know, if it's the main event, they're going to go all out for that match. Oh, yeah. So that's very exciting. Anything else on being the Elite that you really want to touch on? Um, that was, like, the big news coming out of it, really. Yeah. They didn't seem. I mean, they they, they forwarded a few other storylines. There's some funny bits, but I think that was like pretty much it for me. Yeah, that was pretty much it for me too. And that's gonna do it for the news. Yeah, so that wraps it up, guys. Thanks again for listening to this jam-packed episode. Next week we'll be back uh, doing uh, fantasy cards, the G1 Supercard MSG. We're gonna we're gonna talk to Jamie, a uh, good friend who was there. He was for there for the last two nights uh, in Budokan, and he was all over Japan. And we'll, we're gonna bring him on the show and. Uh, you know, just talk to him about his experiences there. If if not on that episode, one of these few episodes coming up here in the few next few weeks. Yep. So make sure you connect with us on social media on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy L Donovan. The show is at Ki Strong Style. Uh, you can follow Social Suplex at Social Suplex on Facebook. We're Facebook.com/slash/SocialSuplex on Reddit. I am the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. I will be on their SummerSlam review episode next week. Uh, Outsider's Edge featuring Rance, Carl, and Kyle. And our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown men watch this shit. Hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan, and I believe you're going to be on one of their upcoming episodes, right? Yeah, they invited me, so I'll have to coordinate that with them. They want to, you know, get have me talk more about the G1, which is just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm very excited. I, I love their show, and I think also I'll, I'll try to finate since we're going to the AAW shows and to. Uh, all in. Also, if you guys have AW tickets for Friday, please hit us up. Someone hit me up on, someone hit me up on Reddit to sell tickets, and then they just stopped talking to me. So we still need Friday night AAW tickets. But since we're going to some indie shows and they're an indie podcast, I think we might be able to nail our way onto that show. Which yes. their their show. If you haven't heard grown men watch this shit, uh, it, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible show. I I, I love it. Yeah, it's great stuff. I mean. No offense to our brothers. I love Rich and James, and I love Ricky and Clive, and I love the Outsiders Edge guys, but I don't follow WWE. I know they talk about other things. They, they have great shows, but I'm in this indie mindset, and I really I, I love what Chris and uh, Jeremy bring to the table. I mean, all the shows on our, on, on our network are awesome, but I especially enjoy Grown Men Watch This Shit. Yeah, man. And 
We might be having some uh, also some social suplex radios coming up with some interviews. So make sure you. Oh t- yeah, we got tons of guys on the docket that are supposed to be on here. You know, yeah, up in the next few weeks. So make sure you are subscribed. Any podcast app you got, type in Social Suplex Podcast Network. Subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. And don't leave just just yet. Listen to this rich Lana Tanahashi rant that I'm putting at the end of the show. So until next week, goodbye and good night. Bang. We also got the news of Tanahashi's biceps injury that's going to keep him out of action. Bad move. I know how they think. Joey's not missing the G1. You know, I, I saw this, and I mean, the one that comes to mind was Hashimoto, when Hashimoto had the bad shoulder. And he worked on it and worked on it, and it basically destroyed his career. Because he just felt like he had that mentality that I'm not going to go out of action even though I need surgery. You know, because the company needs me. Tanahashi, I mean, as much as New Japan does need Tanahashi to a degree, they're strong enough that they can survive six months without him, and it'll be better long term for him to have, you know, five, six, seven years, or whatever it is, rather than like ruin his career in one year like Hashimoto did. Give it to me again! At 41 years old, Hiroshi Tanahashi just won the G1 Climax for the third time in his career. They tried to tell me Hiroshi Tanahashi was too broken down to be the ace. Well, he just won a G1 with no biceps in place. Before the G1 final, Kota Ibushi said he was like a god. So what other outcome could it be than doing a damn job? All this noise about Tanahashi passing the torch so Tanahashi could go home. Well, he ain't going anywhere but the main event of the Dome. At Wrestle Kingdom 12, it looked like he was making his way down the card. You fools, the ace was always coming back hard. Without Tanahashi, Bob Sapp would still be the IWGP champion. He saved New Japan from going out of business. Gato booked him to win, and he still can't figure out how he did this. Give it to me again. I said, give it to me again. Shit back. Brock Lesnar ran back to America to avoid facing a young Tanahashi. He ain't want no smoke. The guys he started with made it nowhere near this far. Shinsuke Nakamura is dying in the WWE mid-card. kicking people in the dick. Yuri Shibata may never wrestle again. But Tanahashi, another G1 came, another G1 win. One out of 100 years is more than just a slogan or catchphrase. Women want Tanahashi sweat on their towels so they can rub it on their face. Every year they say his injuries are getting worse, but all I see is a G1 where he finished first. Everyone told me he was no longer the ace, but he keeps whooping ass without a single hair falling out of place. Tetsuya Naito fans might jump over bridge after this. The A block stands for ace. Bring that shit back. Let's go down the list. Okada and Tanahashi went to what Tanahashi is for the dome. A draw. Kota 
Ushi looks like a Jonas brother. Tanahashi beat the squiggly lines off of Minoru Suzuki's head and Dragon screwed his legs. Togi Makabe, you are Togi not today. Michael Elgin can lose all the weight he wants and he'll never touch the ace. Everything is evil. The ace just beat you. Tanahashi is one of two wrestlers ever to have a good match with Bad Luck Fale. Yoshihashi, to beat Tanahashi, you would need the Illuminati. The only way to beat Tanahashi was cheating, and you still lost to Block J. White. This isn't John Cena in the WWE. This is Tanahashi, and he is the A-C-E. I can't wait for January 4th to see Tanahashi playing air guitar with the I-W-G-P Championship. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. See you next time. See you next time.